Hi, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a Joe move that you just made. Yeah. Uh, We, I think the people we've talked to already have raised some really great, really great thoughts and really great points. Um, Yes. And, and I, in my mind, what's emerged is a new category. uh, And I think it's a great, uh, Serial shows it's a highly, I think it shows it's a highly beneficial focus of investigative effort, journalistic effort, and I think legal effort. Um, and that is um, not wrongful convictions, but it, but um, maybe you could call we need a good phrase for it. But it, the notion is um, unwise convictions, imprudent convictions, wrongful non acquittals, um, wrong. Yeah, right. The the it's the the failure to acquit was was what was wrongful. Well, you've heard me you've heard me um, talk about this. I mean, in term, uh, um, but this but serial really focuses out in a way that like the Truman Capote true uh the True Blood sort of genre of true crime. Yeah, uh, excuse me, in cold blood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Truman Capote novel uh, of folks who really did it, and there I don't think there's ever been any doubt they did, and the uh, etc. Um, and the genre of um, people who've been demonstrably wrongfully convicted, um, and th- and serial is in either of those things in a very profound way. It's something that is in a way much more disturbing. And now this show is going to be a serial show because we are going to be talking to listeners and friends. In a way, it's kind of like you know, and in- this is our one year anniversary show. Mm-hmm. Today uh, is our one year anniversary. Today is our one year anniversary for the, for the for the man. show, and yeah, happy anniversary to you, Joe. And so this it's is a cool. it's a great way to talk to kind of you know it's like the holidays talking to family and friends. Right. Unfortunately, it's about a murder and a potential wrongful conviction, but <laughs> uh, and and it's as close as we've gotten to like a call in show. But we're going to be calling out to people. You know, we put out a call on our right. Facebook and on our Twitter. Um, saying, "Hey, we're going to do something special. If you want to be on the show, get yeah. in touch, and we will we'll, we'll we'll call you to be on the show." And that's exactly what we've done. We've arranged to talk to a few people, um, and 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 so if you if you're like, "Well, I listen to the show. I would have loved to have done this," and and believe me, we would have loved to have had you. Yeah, uh, you got to follow us on Twitter uh, or Facebook or both, um, and that's how you find out about very special things uh, like today. Right. But this, so in a way, this is a serial show. And, and one thing to note uh, before we get into it, and I think I said this with the first guest, as, you, as you'll hear in a second, um, uh, th- th- we're not broadcasting live, and so none of the guests knows what the other ones have said. And so we're, right. they're at a little bit of a disadvantage that way. But we're trying to capture each guest's kind of primary reactions to what has become a cultural phenomenon yes. of serial. I mean, this is, I think it's it, it succeeded as a podcast beyond anyone's wildest imaginations. And Although probably uh, less listened to than some of the broadcast television shows that in an earlier era would have been considered dismal failures. Yeah. So in terms of the listening numbers, maybe yeah. even in terms of percentage of population, these are not big numbers. But for a podcast, for in terms of our data and our understanding about podcasts, huge success. And in terms of just mind share, I mean, yeah. the number of people whose Facebook feeds and, and Twitter streams have, have been... Yep have had a very high serial content yep. is, is, is way up. I mean, there are just a and lot Willa of people. Paskin, yeah. who's a TV writer uh, for Slate, had a column a few weeks ago about obsessions 
and the the sort of the media that we now live in and the obsession phenomenon yeah. in terms of cultural consumption. And I'd right. like us to link to that in the show notes because Serial okay. is an example very much of what she's – some of her really interesting meditations. And it's asynchronous, uh, right? I mean it used to be the Super Bowl – the um yeah. the state of the union address a presidential debate the walking on the moon there were these shared moments where everybody was watching the same thing on the television right. at the same time or hearing the same thing over the radio yep. uh, at the same time and, and sometimes it's cultural stuff like you know the final episode of mash was an incredibly highly rated tv show for its time right, right. so there can be it, it isn't just reporting events or you know, other things like like that that have to be seen in real time in that sense. That you're right. watching the Super Bowl because it's happening right now. Um, it can be other things too. And so we thought there was a lot to to say about this show serial, both as a cultural phenomenon, as a as a as journalism and for what it reveals about the law substantively and about how the broader culture thinks about the law, criticizes the law, interacts with the law. Yeah. Um and, and, you know, you just can't get away from your personal feelings about the, the substance of the case. So, you know, obviously we're going to link up the Serial podcast. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to it, uh, it might help to listen to at least a few episodes before you before you listen to this show, because we're going to assume uh, familiarity with it. I'm not going to say we're going to spoil it, because right. I, I the whole idea that there could be spoilers in a in a journalistic show about someone's life and, and, and someone's death is it's weird, isn't it, Joe? I mean, that's one of maybe that's a way of thinking about what's odd about consuming this podcast with you know very well produced good music it's gripping but it's about a real person who either is in prison for basically life who's as innocent as 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 you or i are or it's about someone who is has actually killed um a friend we know that there's someone was killed i mean we know there was this death and that and that that you know that (laughs) no matter whether uh, he's he's guilty or not. Adnan is guilty or not. You know that pervades the whole show. This yeah. tragedy, but the, whether that tragedy is compounded by wrongful conviction. There's a third possibility. Uh, yeah, and, and it, you know your phrase is innocent as you or I. You know, we, okay. So we both are not the persons uh, who killed Hay, um, and we are also persons who don't know anything about it other than what we've heard on this. A podcast called Serial. Right. Um, I think my 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 own belief about Adnan's, you know, existential situation <laughs> is um, he, that he he seems to me to be a person who did not murder her. Yeah. Um, but who knows a great deal more about the circumstances of her death than he has shared in a way that we've ever gotten access to. Yeah. Um, I believe he knows things that he's lying about and that Jay is lying about in this in the context of this the case the aftermath of the case etc okay um, but but so there's a third possibility he well, didn't he didn't do it but he knows more about how it happened than he's ever said i'm going to go ahead and say what i think too cool. and and we'll, this is good to get out in the front of the show just sure. you know what we think and and but by the way what i just said for myself subject to revision i mean i could wake course. up tomorrow thinking something else and i feel i have a lot of hesitancy even saying this um because you know the partly because the podcast is is public and and to, and to talk publicly about someone else in this way is 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 difficult so if i had to guess just is he did he commit the murder or not or was he involved enough with the murder where where a murder conviction would have been 
valid, even if it's not, um, even if he wasn't acting alone. Um, I, I'm kind of an equipoise about it. I think maybe, I mean, I, I would have a really hard time as a juror in a wrongful death case where I had to decide whether it was more likely than not that he caused her death. Um, and I have to say one thing that really pains me about that is, you know, to, we get to this with a, with one of the callers that we're about to talk to, but that in the law, we have to make these conclusions about people. And there's a very good chance in my mind that he didn't have anything to do with it. And there's, there's also a good chance that maybe he had something to do with it, but was was not the actual murderer. I, I think that's a, some less likely for reasons maybe we can get into. But um, but to say that someone is a murderer, and he says this, there's an episode where he talks about what it's like, maybe even more than one, to, to have people think this about you. And that was really hard to get over. Yeah. I hate saying that I think it was, you know, that there's a good, li- even that there's a good likelihood that he's a murderer. I think that's just, in a way, it's a horrible thing to say about a person. And yet the law forces us to come to these conclusions now what it doesn't force us to do is independently of being in a jury to announce what our opinion is about someone and that's why i really hesitate to do so but okay that's um, a fair point it's a great point actually well i I don't know i um you know i mean how would it feel to be an innocent person in prison and have people speculating about whether you are a murderer, whether right. it's just, and I, you know, it's I tragic. It right? is tragic. I, I think that what I gather from the show is that, um, if, if Sarah Koenig had been in contact with him and he had said, for example, I, you know, I really don't want you to do this story. I'm not going to cooperate in any way. Anyone I know who I'm in touch with, I'm going to encourage them not to cooperate yeah. in any way. I think they would not have done the story. Right. So there's a sense in which we're not speculating about someone against his will in that sense. Right. Yeah. He knows she was doing the story. They talked for more than 40 hours. He seems to have welcomed this uh, scrutiny. In that respect. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and ha- is a license to everyone on the planet to be a gratuitous jerk. Uh, uh, so I'm not saying that. <laughs> what, right, what I'm yeah. saying is for you and me to be talking about it, it I think, is in the, within the zone of surely what he has been thinking about as someone who participated in the way that he did in the creation of this story. Well, and so to go further along this chain in terms of what what I think, and then maybe hear more about what you think. Uh, that's not the end of the story. Like having an opinion about whether he's guilty in the abstract. Well, first of all, it's incomplete. What, what is the nature of your opinion about his guilt? Right. That's the second question. And in particular, how many resources do you think we as a society should devote to answering that question, given what we are going to do, right? Which is either imprison him or to let him go. And, Third of all, uh, what level of certainty do we need to obtain before we are willing to impose this great penalty on him? And and this is something we'll talk about with, with some of the guests and that you and I have talked about. But this is the very basic question, right? And to, those two questions, how much, like how much resources, what level of certainty, actually they interact in a way into right. a third question, which is how would those resources get deployed? Right. Right. And ha- and when you say when you ask the question, what level of certainty? What, what like in what context is is going is that level of certainty going to get reached, and by whom? Yeah. So all our listeners know that the standard we use in criminal cases is beyond a reasonable doubt. 
we've seen countless you know shows and and novels and other things which which come down to this question of reasonable doubt. And even if you've never served on a jury or studied it in law school, you've certainly seen movies where you see some lawyer or a judge instructing the jury about what a reasonable doubt is. Um, and it's reasonable doubt according to a jury of your peers um, in your vicinity, in, your, in the place where you live, right? Where the crime occurred, actually, yeah. not the place where you live, where the crime occurred. Um, uh, if that's what you as a defendant want. Yeah. One of the things that occurs to me just having this conversation right now, I thought I hadn't, that hadn't pa- crossed my mind before today, right now. Um, this might be an instance where uh, the defendant might have been a, quite a bit better served by having a bench trial. Yeah, I, well. Because the sophistication of the possibility that he would be involved in a way, but yet not be the cause of her death. I, uh, it, yeah. I, I don't have I, a sense from the jury interviews that Koenig shared on her show that the jurors were thinking in those terms. Well, the jurors made all kinds of inferences about his not taking the stand. They made inferences about this and that. And they surely were annoyed by the by his lawyer who, uh, you know, you look at some things about the state of her health and everything. And it seems like it was just a horrible time for her. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm reluctant to criticize her too much, especially for sounding annoying or asking things in a particular way or being theatrical. I'm and, not trying to criticize yeah, no, no, anybody no. at all. Right, no, <laughs> I'm just I, saying I, that, I was saying that for what I'm about to, okay. to say. But um, uh, well, let's, maybe we should put that aside for just a second and, and go back to these questions that you're asking about. And, and then I was asking about how, how we deploy the resources that mm-hmm. we deploy and, and how it interacts with reasonable doubt. And I just want to for me, what crystallizes this question, and I've written about this in the context of the death penalty just on, on the blog, but um, the basic question is if you decide to have a criminal justice system at all, and all societies do, right, because you have to do something about murder and rape it's and imperative. burglary and all these crimes and then, and then other crimes that you decide are necessary yeah. for the functioning of your particular civil society. Right. You have to understand and be comfortable with the fact that you are going to uh, convict people wrongfully from time to time. There's just there's right. no way that, and to quit them wrongfully, right? Exactly. Well, yes, gonna there are going to be both. errors. There's no way to know. It's inevitable. Um, exactly what the true history is, and that's even setting aside legal uncertainty. Right. You know, this is just talking about factual uncertainty for a minute. Right. Just not knowing for sure what the facts were. Um, what that says is that the administration of a criminal justice system, a justice system, imposes random and severe sacrifice. Right. And, and, and a just criminal justice system may be one which really does it randomly. And that was kind of what my blog post was about, right? It, because wrongful convictions are, are concentrated unequally, I think, um, people tolerate a lower level of, of certainty than they otherwise might. Um, uh, if, in fact, wrongful convictions were spread, again, evenly across society, right? So if it's if it's just as likely that, say, someone you know is going to be wrongfully convicted as someone in a um, uh, um, uh, someone who's uh, one of the usual suspects, you know, from whatever group, uh, then I think people focus on this question more closely mm-hmm. and clearly um, than they do. So what did you just, how did you just say it? Randomly impose the what? I, I don't know what I said. I randomly imposed extreme sacrifice. Yeah. You know, so there are going to be some people who are, you know, e- even if we eliminated the death penalty, which I think screws up a lot of the thinking about this, I think the death penalty 
gets us off course in a lot of ways, which is one of its problems. Yeah. But even if we got rid of that, we would still be putting people away in prison for long periods, and at least some of those people would be innocent, right? Yeah, the fun, I just occurred to me, just let's if, just flag it for uh, a later reflection or a, as a complete triviality. Um, deciding to refuse to have a criminal justice system would also impose random great sacrifice. Yeah, that's, that's right. So, yeah, so uh, and why do I point that out? Because we're actually in a situation where it's, we simply cannot get to a reality that does not involve arbitrarily visited right. huge sacrifices. Well, see, that's one of the things I think is great about the With show. With without criminal I, law. I, I think this is what's great about the show, yeah, um, is that it, it takes a case where it's not so clear that he's innocent, and it's not so clear that he's guilty. Right. Um, and it helps us confront that question, that, that no matter what you do, there's going to be this problem. I mean, you know, you're not, especially if you can't obtain um, certainty. So what should you do? Like, you know, how much uh, certainty do we, do we want? I mean, so, so one, one thought is, is this, and this is the one that I suggested in the death penalty post, right? Right. Which is that like, if you, if you have a norm of equality, which says, which proceeds from the, from the observation that, that you as an individual are no more important than anyone else, Right, that that no one person is more uh, uh, essentially uh, um, uh, imbued with with right. with the right to liberty than any other person is. No more important and no less. Then then a a, a thought experiment you should go through is: um, Are you so certain that this person is guilty that you would be willing to take this place, take this person's place if if you were wrong? Right, and whether that's with the death penalty or with imprisonment, are you right. are you so sure? Uh, so if you think that this conviction. It, that, that that there was no reasonable doubt about about Adnan's guilt. If you were wrong about that, would you be willing to take his place in prison? I mean, that's now, now one problem with that is that we may have a natural egotistical, you know, pull which says, "Oh, I'm not going to take that bet because." But so then maybe would you be willing to impose that on a random person? So so maybe another way of thinking about it, which maybe gets a little bit of the ego out of it. Although I'm not sure we should take the ego totally out of it, Joe. Right. But but one thing you could do is say. Would you be willing to say that this person is guilty if you knew that if it's later proved that this person is innocent, we will all draw lots and the person who draws the uh, the bad lot will have to go to prison indefinitely? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... It's a, it's a really great exercise for thinking. Because if, if you recoil from that prospect, if, if the right. first thing you feel is like fear or revulsion at the notion that we would do that, what you just described... right. Then what are we doing putting people in jail with like not being too reflective about it in certain respects? Of course, we're yeah. very reflective about it in many respects, and, 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 but in others, yeah. we're not. So, but see, I think that the attitude that I describe is the one that recoils at the idea of putting people in prison wrongfully, and, and I'm really worried about that. There are other jurors, though, who are I, uh, other jurors, but other other people who think about these things, and, and I'm sure jurors who really worry about having one you know, pulled over on them, you know, uh, you know, that, that someone is, and this is, and we I refer to this with a couple of the guests, but I think there's a basic kind of psychological divide almost between people who are just constantly worried that someone is getting something they don't deserve. Right. And those who are worried about people who are re- on the receiving end of undeserved travails in yeah, life, getting I, hurt unfairly, getting hurt unfairly, As that's getting benefited unfairly. And I think it's that, sort of a yeah. windfall versus, um, you know, injury 
difference? Yeah. Like what, what's more salient to you as a person who's just sort of out there surveying what's going on yeah. in the world? Um, Let's talk about this more at the end. Cool. Should we get to some callers? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Ring, ring, ring. Hello? Uh, listener Hunt. Hey. Hey, this is Christian. Christian, how are you? I've got I've got Joe with us. Hello. Hey Joe. Um and and Hunt, do do you um first of all, is it okay to call you Hunt or or do yes. you want to be so anonymous that we should call you Joe or Jim? Hunt Hunt is fine. There's so many of us out there that that no one will have any idea. Is that right? So do do you want to use your whole name or or and, and sure. your affiliation or do you Okay, so this is Hunt Wofford. Yep. Um who actually went to Wofford, is that right? That's true. That is true. And is there a relation there? Uh, very distant. You'd have to be a lawyer to be able to figure it out. Well, well we're in luck. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> you're also a lawyer, right, Hunt? That's exactly right, yeah. And, and do you want to give your firm or affiliation, or, or, or should this be just, is this just personal time? You don't want to... No, know. that's fine. All right, so what, what's your affiliation? Tell us about yourself. I'm, I'm with the, uh, the Dozier Miller Law Firm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I practice predominantly in uh, divorce court. I'm a divorce lawyer. Okay, so happy stuff, holiday stuff. Yes, exactly the kind of thing <laughs> that just makes the holiday time so cheery. Um, so, you know, you and I met, I think, on Facebook. I think we had an argument on Facebook because we have a mutual friend, and we, we argued we in have, a comment thread, right? We have several mutual friends, and we met on a comments thread uh, through one of them, and then at some point we both realized we have a common interest in England. And, uh, <laughs> Arsenal in particular. Arsenal, that's right. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, among so, other common interests, I'm sure. That's right. That's well, right. But, well, uh, but yeah. we kept up a good conversation online. This is the first time we've ever spoken. It is, actually. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Do, do I sound like you imagined? Oh, I guess you've been, you've been a long-time listener, so you've heard me. This has been a one-way I've, thing. I've heard you, yes, and I, I've, I've actually had to send you messages to figure out which voice does belong to you so I can match it to the face. But there. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any question? Joe, not Joe, anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. Well, listen. So uh, one of the common interests we have is this whole serial podcast thing, and that's yes. what the, that's what the show today is about. And uh, I think we, we haven't recorded it yet. We're gonna have to. This show is gonna be weird because we're, we're we're actually calling people out rather than having people call in. And so one thing people have to realize is that none of the guests who are who we're talking to have heard any other part of the show. Okay, right. which is a little bit you know so. Uh, which could be a little strange. We'll try to work this out. I might actually do some editing on this show. I usually try to do very little, but um, uh, why don't you, but you're our lead off. You're the first one that we've called. I don't know if you'll appear first in the show, but you're the first one that we've uh, called, Hunt. So um, we're interested in um, whatever, well, the show is about serial. Joe and I both listened to this whole show. Uh, I've seen a lot of, you know, arguments about this online and, and, and we'll set it up in the intro somehow. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to say, Joe, but uh what no, I'm interested in is what your top line thoughts are. Well, go ahead. Yeah, Joe. You, no, you listen to it. So one difference in the way we listen to it uh, is that you listen to it, I take it, as it was happening sort of week to week. I binge, right. I binge listened. So yeah. I, I listened to it um, bo in both senses, both not at its normal rate of speed because I was using a podcast app. And I didn't listen to it until the show had actually ended. Um, I simply hadn't had occasion to. It's not that I was trying to avoid it. It's just that I wasn't engaging with it. Um, and that means I hadn't, I listened to it without having a few weeks of seeing comments about it yeah, or yeah. seeing articles about it or thinking right. a lot about it over many, many days spread over two yeah. months. Well, what about right. you, Hunt? Did you, did you listen week by week or all at once? 
I listened week by week. I had I'm a big fan of the uh, uh, This American Life podcast, and on one of their uh, episodes, uh, Ira Glass mentioned it. He said they were starting this new cool podcast, and it was going to be sort of This American Life over a number of episodes, and it's going to start up in two weeks, and you should listen. So I immediately subscribed to it and checked it out and started i was hooked immediately so you got in at the ground level i did yeah, yeah before it took <laughs> off before it was cool you were there I, that's exactly right so what, tell me tell me do you have um and you can talk about any aspects of this that you want the meta aspects of serial the the what you think about the case what what is your kind of what what is your most important or what you think of as your most important reaction to this podcast uh, I really enjoyed it from the uh, from the sort of the this American life different kind of podcast idea. I, I like the journalism of it, uh, but I was also just I became extraordinarily interested in the topic, which is different from the way I usually listen to those podcasts. Um, I did a little bit of internet research on this on Adnan and the trial itself to figure out, uh, you know, for example, why there was an initial mistrial. I didn't understand why there was a mistrial at the beginning and couldn't figure that out so i had to look that up and find out before she uh, spilled the beans in the i think it was maybe the fifth or sixth episode she explained why there was an initial mistrial um so to me i i, I initially started listening to it because i like the type of journalism that it was i had no idea what the case or what the story was going to be about i didn't even know it was going to be a legal case until it got started yeah i didn't um, either actually and what, what yeah. is what kind of journalism is it to you is it is it that it's in depth is it that it's a little bit informal is it that it's i think objective I, but not like honestly subjective but you, yeah, you know what i mean I, yeah the informality of it i, I like the um, i like the radio style of uh, the interviews you know it's it's the, the 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 recorded voice of the witness itself or the person being interviewed uh, as opposed to reading it on paper and, and, and that sort of thing. Sort of the conversational style. Yeah, and what do you think that adds um, uh, to, the, to this story, which is in itself, I think even if you were just to kind of get interested in just the raw legal documents, I think a lot of people, if they could get past all of the what it sounds like the the drudgery of of the many the days of testimony yeah. court testimony yeah, yeah but there is a gripping story at its center and i don't know how much of that's because um well i don't i'd say i don't know but i think i do i mean part, you you might argue it's because of the way that it was presented uh the informality of it the the narrative structure that she gave it but i'm not so sure i think that at its at its core it's there's a very interesting gripping social story about guilt and innocence and, and criminal punishment. Um, but, but you also seem to think, I mean, one of the reasons you listened, as you say, is because of the way that the story was told, right? Right. That's right. And I think that the way that, you know, just sort of listening to Sarah Koenig's voice as she's going through this and she's sort of, it's, it's kind of a um, stream of consciousness thinking out loud, I'm confused by this, you know, this, what is going on kind of stuff that I thought was really kind of, Gripping is the word you use, but with me, it was like, yeah, that's exactly the way I'm feeling about it. It's it's almost like Sarah stepped into our shoes and 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 was able to get through this investigation in a way that none of us were, but had the same thoughts doing it. Is it? Yeah, go ahead, Joe. It's a paradox too because I I've, I like that same um, intimacy and feeling like she's voicing things I'm thinking or wondering about and informality. When, for example, there are some of the interviews where she'll. Express to the person with whom she's speaking, you know, she'll she'll 
get frustrated or she, maybe she'll even swear or come close to swearing or she, she, she she's exasperated and, and, that, and sometimes I was feeling that. And so it, in one sense, it was so, so personal and informal. But the paradox for me is in another sense, a huge part of the takeaway for me is the hyper-formality of the kind of investigation they're doing, like mm-hmm. the rigor and the doggedness and the, oh, yeah. you know, logically, here are the possibilities, let's exhaust these possibilities, doing things, you know, searching for architectural drawings to find an indication that there may have been a payphone in the <laughs> vestibule of the Best Buy. The like, most talked about payphone in history, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But but it's like that's rigor. That's for that's formal rigor. I agree, and that's that's why I say when when I said in, she investigated in a way that we couldn't have. You know, I would have sat around and thought, man, it would be interesting to know if there ever really was a cell phone or a or, or a payphone there, and it would be. I'm sure there's some way to figure out what it would be, but then I would probably have left it at that. I, rigor uh, is one word. I would use the word kind of doggedness. Yeah, you yeah. know, this I use that is word the. Too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, she, and I, I didn't listen right. to you well enough, Joe. There, I guess there's, there's a stick to itiveness. The more things of, change, of like figure out, yeah. figure out. Is there another way? Oh, that doesn't work. Is there another way? Oh, that doesn't work. And just not giving up. Yeah, driving around town was one too. They would make the you know. Like, how do we find out? There, there's this almost this element of... Um, so let's time it. We'll time ourselves. We'll do what he said yeah. he did. And I mean, that's really awesome. There's this element of, right. of Mythbusters to it. Yeah. You know, the, this is right. the show where they actually test things. You know, it's like, well, can you, you know, can you get from the school to the Best Buy when the bell rings in this way? Why don't we actually do it and try? Right. Now, of course, it's in a way like a lot of those Mythbusters episodes. There's a lot that's kind of unscientific about it, but there's an aspiration toward rigor. You know, it's not like they tried it 20 or 30 times. It sounds like they tried it once, but tried to make some, some, some right. conclusion. But that's, that's well, one more time like than maybe had... the, co- that's one more time than the cops tried it, I think. <laughs> right. And it's also not like they had 10 different teams of people try it. Uh, that's right. So you, you've got both, they didn't do multiple trials. They didn't have different people do it. But yet I do feel like you learn that they, they are learning more and therefore are able to teach us more by their dogged, uh, pursuit of these factual, what are ultimately empirical questions. Did, now, did you feel treated fairly by the journalism here, Hunt? I mean, in the, yeah, I've read, you and I have already been engaged in some Facebook back and forth about this, uh, right. along with our friend listener, Alan, who's too busy today to call in. Oh, of course yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah, busy guy. Um, uh, but did you feel that you were treated fairly in, in the sense that that she was as objective as she claim to be although she's i've heard her interviewed about this term objective and i think i agree with her completely about it but i I just wanted to get your take as to whether you felt manipulated at all by the narrative structure of the show or whether you thought it was it was fair in the sense that there was an honest agreement between um between her and the listeners yeah i don't um i don't know that i was treated unfairly uh i do think that the um the podcast itself has a it was either going to be listened to or it wasn't and it wasn't going to be listened to if the first two or three episodes she was able to back up everything that the prosecution said and ultimately conclude that a guilty verdict was the right thing and this guy did it um i think that as the podcast went on um i began to i began to realize i don't know that she necessarily began with the hope of disproving the prosecution or proving that this guy was innocent, but she certainly wanted this to be a successful podcast. And the way that would work would be to um, 
to raise more questions and keep people coming back to find out, you know, and you, you've seen the, the parodies online of the, of, the, of the shows where she comes in and everyone says, well, what happened? What are you going to say? Who did it? Who did it? Who did it? And I yeah. think ultimately, you know, seven or eight episodes in, you're still finding that people want to have that solution. They want Jay to come across and say, you know what? I made it all up. I did it. Or you want Adon yeah. to just come across and start crying over the phone and, <laughs> and, and admit it. But that's just not going to happen. And so I don't, think, I don't think that she was malicious in any sense of the word. And like we said, and we, like or, we said or, or dishonest. Or dishonest. Yeah. Yeah, or, or dishonest. Yeah, yeah, dishonest. Yeah. yeah she, she didn't have any bad acts or anything like that. But I think that anytime there was a choice to be made, she was, you know, probably subconsciously, but maybe not, making choices in a way that would keep listeners coming back. I, you um, know, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I, yeah. this is, I, I definitely uh, hear where you're coming from, and I've heard a bunch of other people um, uh, s- say something similar, although not as well as you just said it, I think. And, and here, my take is that she started this investigation months and months and months ago. Um, and my guess is that, you know, I don't know if they even had in mind a podcast when she first started digging into this. I, I think not. Um, maybe it was going to be a This American Life story, or maybe it was just, you know, a freelance journalist or something looking into something and seeing if it turns into something. And she, and she heard about this case, she talks to some people, and there seems to be kind of an innocence claim here, and it's a really, you know, it's a... It's a it's it's a somewhat you know inherently gripping story because you got this young kid who seems like a good kid who was put away. There's no physical evidence. She starts to dig into it more, and it looks like there's you know, that th- that there's a lot of story here. And the more she digs into it, the more uncertainty th- there is. And then at some point, they realize maybe we could make a great show by taking people on this same investigative journey that we are going on. You know, and so before the first episode was recorded, I think they had months and months of investigation. Um, I. It, what became clear towards the end of the of the run of the series is that they uh, um, were continuing to do reporting, and they had once the podcast got out. You know, some of the most interesting stuff was people calling in because they heard the podcast. Um, right. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I I totally enjoyed the last. I think it was maybe the last four or five episodes that I realized she was probably recording this episode. You know, last weekend. I mean, it, it's it's none oh, of this yeah. stuff was already in the can, and she was going and going, and she was she was playing phone calls that she had made you know a day or so before yeah um so i saw a remarkable willingness to kind of talk directly about her uncertainties Mm -hmm. um and to um point to the uncertainties in the case and to reflect kind of her own concerns about her own biases um going into it and I, I, I just I heard a, a really balanced show uh, from my from my perspective, and and if it's true that the last few episodes were uh, created and um, presented using information that came to light as a consequence of the early episodes having aired, that means that when they went when they went on air with number one, right? They're basically okay. The plane just took off. We're going to fix it in the air. Before we get to where we're going. I mean, that's a pretty ballsy thing to do. Yeah, we're going to decide where we land. Right. Uh, And there are so, you know, the plane hasn't been, we haven't finished building the plane yet, but, you know, we have time. I I always think of it like, I heard, I forget who it was, maybe it was David Chase or somebody talking about how they would do the Sopranos, you know, and they had an overall series arc, and then they would have a season arc. But that and, and and some outline of how the 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 episodes in the season would go, um, 
but that, you know, there's a lot of filming that's going on. You know, I don't know how many of these they have in the can before they start airing the first one on right. HBO, but, uh, and how many they have written, but you know, the way a lot of shows are good shows, you know, there's an outline of the whole thing, but then you're kind of revising week by week and making up uh, the of story. Of course, that's fiction. And, yeah. And so the notion but I get that the, people would come forward and yeah. have more useful information in a fiction that's in fiction, that's not going to happen. I'm guessing she's that they had an outline for what they wanted to do. Sure. But they were open to kind of changing it, and then right. week by week they would kind of block it out and make it more and particular. And maybe no one would have gotten in touch, and no information would have come to light as a consequence of something that people heard and then got uh, encouraged to contact them. You know, that could have all turned out to be zero. And in that right. case, it's not like they wouldn't have had anything to say. Yeah. They would go on air with an episode that they had roughly planned. Well, we got, just a, we, we got just a couple more minutes with Hunt, and cool. I want to make sh- and I want to see, do you want to say anything about what your inferences are do you think do you think he did it or do you want to talk about that or or? yeah i think he did it i i I don't have a problem with a guilty verdict and i wouldn't and i don't i don't have a problem telling people that i think he did it those are two different (laughs) things because i have um um on on the one hand i feel voyeuristic and bad about making conclusions about whether he did it Um, right and um but i you know if you if you pin me down, I would I would say you know on a probability standard, maybe it's maybe more likely than not that he did it or was involved, um, yep. because you know the, for me the 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 really tough thing to explain is is how Jay knew where the car was, and then it's all about the kinds of stories you can tell um, related to Jay knowing where the car was and what Adnan's role in that. But I, but I, I, I also think it's totally unreasonable as we talked about on Facebook. To me, it's unreasonable to say that he is that there is no reasonable doubt about his guilt. That's my sticking point. And I yes. think you, you disagree with that, right? Yeah, I disagree with that. I, you know, all I know about this case and all any of us know about the case other than the, the, the jurors that sat through the trial uh, are the 45-minute episodes that we got from Serial. And I, I have a hard time saying that any result that was reached by the people that sat through the entire trial is just unreasonable and blatantly wrong from, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. If I wasn't there, yeah, but we but questioning that. I, and I don't I, have to be. You yeah, know? but I wasn't but, a juror, so I don't have to apply that that same standard. And so I don't. No, right. I don't enjoy when people tell no. me, "Well, I think he did it," but not beyond a reasonable doubt, because I'm like, "Well, you either think he did it or didn't." You know, I don't. I don't go through life making decisions beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, well, so, but yeah, no, but, I think but, he did it. But as a, as a society, though, we got to decide whether to imprison this guy for his life, right? And, well, and we already that, decided that. Well, we just, but this is what this is what I think is interesting about the show because I think something went really wrong here. And and what's interesting, we're going to explore this in the next you know little bit with with other guests and and um, and I'm sure with you on Facebook, I'll continue to discuss it. But uh, <laughs> like, how much certainty do you need? And then how final should that initial decision be? You know, I, I just to say that there's I think we heard on the podcast, I think we heard all of the evidence favorable to the prosecution. Now, not in the detail, maybe that it was laid out in the trial. There are a lot of people I, online who have been doing who have been doing more. Oh, yeah. But to yeah. say that you cannot come up with uh, with other stories that don't involve his innocence um, or you can't come up with stories that involve his innocence um, that have some at least glimmer of rationality to them. That's to me, that's the standard that you need that you, you know, that there aren't, there aren't stories compatible with innocence that are reasonably probable that have some significant chance of being true. And that to me is it's, it, to me, it's crazy that you could rule that out. I mean, I can think of all kinds of things consistent with this evidence, all kinds of scenarios where he's innocent. 
Um, that that really bothers me because it says something about what happened at this trial. Um, it says something about, and we'll get into this, the, the attitude of prosecutors, the attitudes of police, which I'm not criticizing in this case. I mean, I think, you know, you see people trying to do a good job, but the idea of building a case, I don't know, we're going to get more into this. And I, I we should have had Hunt on for a whole hour. I feel like we haven't given you your due. <laughs> Call Hunt. me back. Call yeah. me back. We'll do it. All right. Listen, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, man. Well, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and, thanks uh, so much. Enjoy your podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for letting me take part in it. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Take right. care. See you Bye-bye. Now. This is Nathan. Nathan, it's Christian. Hey. So good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, too. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. So Nathan and I went to law school together. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to remain anonymous for this podcast, Nathan, or do, or do you uh, want to? We, we can just do uh, uh, Nathan and, and go to law school together. What do you think? That, that, that'll work. And, and I won't give any other information. We worked together in law school in a certain capacity. I won't go into it further because then, you know, the, exactly the kind of people who've been following this serial podcast, we'll they're going totally to totally sleuth it out. They're going to sleuth <laughs> it out. I'm Joe, by the way. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Joe. I was saying to Kristen the other day that I've been listening to you guys for a while, so I feel like I've uh, I feel like I know you now. Cool. Um, if you least, could, if least, you could do uh, me, yeah, if you could do me one favor, Nathan, in, in yeah. light of that, just say, um, "Long time listener, first time caller." Uh, uh, long time listener, first time caller. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream. It is a dream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you've been listening to this serial thing, Nathan? I have. Um, I. Almost against my better judgment, I have been. Uh, I listened to the first episode or two and um, was finding it frustrating. And um, and so I stopped. And then a very good friend of mine from high school um, who has uh, often um, told me that I ought to be watching one show or another or listening to one thing or another. Um, and I never listened to him and he's always right. <laughs> uh, so for instance, I was, I, I hated Seinfeld for like the first season. And yeah. So I stopped watching it and, um, my friend was saying, well, you have to watch Seinfeld. It's the greatest show ever. Now it's, no, I don't know how I would have lived without Seinfeld. So yeah, but that, fir- that first season was a little bit rough. I think, it I, think was. I think you're it right was. about that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it turned into something great. So what was exactly. it about the what was it about the first two episodes of Serial that that were turning you off? Um, I just and and I still feel this way after having having listened to the whole thing. I, it's it's incredibly naive to me that uh, or, or it strikes me as incredibly naive that these uh, journalists thought that you know taking a few months of their time to uh, pour over some case was going to suddenly magically resolve the issues in that case and um and i think there was some you know feel that well we may not we may not come to a conclusion and we're doing this in real time but um they seem to take some ownership of it and they they also didn't seem to really i, I mean they they seem to be building this up we're going to look at the cell phone records we're going to look at these things and we're going to come to some conclusion in this case which is just a sort of a comical thing to really attempt to do and um do you, do you see it as kind of hubristic i mean you think there's hubris in that or or is it you know a I lot do, of people and i yeah. mean i i was thinking today i i and i don't know if this is the case but i was thinking about um you know uh, so one of the things i did in law school one summer so i will 
you know, this is not some big part of my career by any stretch. But one summer I worked at the federal public defenders in the capital habeas unit. Yeah. And we were helping, um, you know, there are lawyers there who were assigned to death penalty cases to help them through the habeas process. And we're investigators reinvestigating these cases. And I mean, so these are cases just, just for our listeners benefit. I mean, these again, habeas is, is, is post-conviction relief. So there's already been, you've already been convicted. You've already been through a set of direct appeals from that conviction all the way to the state Supreme court, presumably with a chance to appeal to the United States Supreme court. But then after that occurs, you can, um, uh, after that occurs, you can uh, petition to be released, both in uh, state habeas and and sorry, <laughs> I had a phone call coming through, uh, both in state habeas and in and in in federal habeas. And I imagine you were mainly working in federal habeas. Is that right, Nathan? Right. So, um, and I'm going to get this wrong. I'm sure it's been so long ago, but I I think there was actually some statutory right to um, representation for that that federal habeas um, case. And um, so the Federal Public Defender's Office I was working in had a, had a habeas unit, and they devoted resources to representing these clients. And, um, you know, for the most part, you know, these were death penalty cases where people were, um, there wasn't really a lot of question about guilt or innocence, for the most part. Um, there were in some cases. But, I mean, the amount of energy and, and work and toil and seriousness that went into <laughs> dealing with and investigating those cases and trying to understand what happened and and find ways to to zealously represent those clients um is astounding and i i feel as though with this podcast um you know i i feel that it's somewhat exploitative of of this this person who's in prison and who's in prison um you know he's not having the opportunity to have that kind of representation probably felt as though this type of investigation um, by a journalist would would help him in some way. And yeah. it just seemed clear to me from the beginning of it, there's no way this was possibly going to help him. Um, and, and maybe that's not the case. I mean, there were some revelations of, uh, in the last episode about, about work that I guess the Innocence Project was doing. Yeah. Um, that maybe will help him, but I, it, it strikes me that that's that's serious work that's being done on behalf of someone, yeah, uh, and that it's being really trivialized and and he's being exploited in the remainder of this show. I have some concerns about you know, you know, the show, especially with the music and everything. It's very enjoyable and well produced, and but one of the things that you're enjoying is is the story about a guy who you know, if he's innocent, it's it's the worst thing that you can imagine happening to somebody. Um, uh, and um, although I was struck no, by, no, I think getting strangled to death by someone you know is probably worse. Well, well which is the other thing that might be true. Well, they're just exactly that's what I was going to say, right? right? I mean, so there's, there's these there, two horror there, stories. There are these either two horror stories. Either, exactly, that was going to yeah. be my point. And and I don't know which is worse. I mean, <laughs> these are right. you know, and, and I was also struck by the, never learn by the by the one episode where he. Uh, um, where he said, I don't want people to feel too sorry for me. I have a life in here. I thought that was quite poignant. Um, uh, But, you know, it's, so there's that kind of element of guilt, maybe listening to something like this. I don't guilt may be the wrong word, but, um, but I also wonder if there's not, I mean, you say it, it trivializes it. Maybe it trivializes the work done by lawyers or, or the, the seriousness of this case by putting it into a package, which might be viewed as kind of, 
infotainment or, or news slash entertainment. But but isn't there an important like social function served by um, by focusing people's attention on something that we all too conveniently forget? I mean, quite often, which I think is that the the criminal justice system just to have one necessarily entails extreme sacrifice uh, because we're never going to get everything right. There are lots of lots of wrongful convictions. Uh, sometimes they're even in death penalty cases. You know, there's um, Todd Willingham yeah, so in Texas and. I actually really, so I really agree with with that point that that there's real value in um, telling a story that <laughs> describes that kind of cost. Um, but what strikes me about this particular narrative is that um, there's this big effort to sort of dive into this with that in mind, as if that's that is what happened here. And I think that's the impression that was given. Although I know there's you know, there was, there's been all this debate on social media, you know, hashtag J did it, hashtag SN did it, that sort of thing. So, I mean, maybe they, maybe it's somewhat transparent that they don't, they don't know, but I, I think people have generally had the impression, oh, someone's been wrongly convicted here. I think there, there is a lot of value to a narrative that, that explains the cost of, of a criminal justice system where people may be wrongfully convicted, but it's not totally clear that that actually happened here. And, um, and that's one of the things almost from a, really from a narrative perspective that sort of bothers me about this is that there was never, so I was thinking this morning about, uh, the uh, documentary from 2001, um, or maybe 2002, I don't know, but it won Best Picture Murder on a Sunday Morning was a big thing when we were in law school. Um, yeah. You know, I don't actually remember really, it, but yeah, go ahead. It, it's, you know, that was a wrongful conviction case and had a lot to do with um, mistaken identity and things like this. And, but I, I feel as though in, in a format like that, you you can see the story in advance, you know, what the conclusion is. You can actually craft that into a story that explains what happened here and, and the cost of the, the justice system and that there were problems and 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 there are always problems with with these cases and you can actually present a coherent point of view here you know I'm not sure that there was some great injustice being done by the police I'm not sure that there was a necessarily a problem with this case it's, it seems entirely up in the air and is that telling us something meaningful about the justice system so here's the argument I would make for why the answer to that is yes. Um, it is um, the stories that are clear, and I think we can point to many examples of, of both sorts of stories, where the conviction was plainly right and proper, and stories about where the conviction was absolutely wrong, and we know because we figured out who actually did it, and it's been fully vetted in that sense, and so it's a wrongful conviction with a complete exoneration. Um, those stories in their clarity tell us one aspect, but in a sense, Serial is, is focusing on a far more discomforting aspect, which is the degree to which we can never know in, mo in men what could be many instances, I wouldn't go so far as to say most, but many instances, where all we're left with in the end is this gray goo, but we have to do something. I mean, there is a dead person. 
someone was responsible for it in the sense that someone carried out the act. And the prospect of allowing a person who did it to walk free is not good at all. To like, in, indeed, totally unacceptable. <laughs> and the notion of imprisoning someone who really didn't do it is equally unacceptable. And so we're left in this, there, there's a moral uh, imperative. Factually, there's just all this gray goo. And that's, that, yeah. And, and that's actually where many cases stay. But this is the essence of what we do in law as compared to science and even journalism and yeah. other cases is that, that's you know, what I'm saying. we have to do something really important. We have to do something and that having to do something involves, you know, very tragic choices about things. In the face of ineradicable uncertainty. Right. And but this case, I mean, like Nathan said, you're, you're not sure that, that there was anything wrong here. I would, wouldn't you say this may be a better case to teach this lesson? Right about or, or to help people see the tragic choices which are constantly we're constantly making in the law. It's that you know you don't know. So how certain do you need to be before you send a guy away to prison for life? And and I think this reflects. You know, I see this like psychologically almost. It seems like there are people who are more worried about having someone else get something they don't deserve walking. You know, when they in fact did it. Uh, are you more concerned about that, that someone's going to pull one over on society and walk when they, in fact, don't deserve to walk? Or are you more concerned with the tragedy of putting someone in prison uh, who is, in fact, innocent? And how do you trade off those two things? Yeah. And I think that's a that's a very basic psychological divide that I think you see replicated throughout the distinction between kind of liberalism and conservatism, in fact. But but even putting that no, to I, one side, isn't there a – yeah, great, go ahead. Christian, but I, I also think uh, – Maybe maybe this is coming to as a lawyer. I know you guys are lawyers too. I I think there's a a certain um, procedural justice that comes out of a legal system. That is what the focus maybe is more properly more properly should be should be devoted to and um, and recognition. Yes, we can't necessarily know with absolute certainty in some of these muddier cases um but but there wasn't a significant amount of time devoted to there being some problem with the procedural justice in this case and that that's the system we work in and that that i seems to me that we ought to be raising you know where possible larger questions about those procedural issues which i don't think we're given much time in this particular they weren't given much. They were given a little bit, but but not. I think you're right. Not much because she um, she did point out, and they hired this independent investigator who used to do police investigations. Who pointed out the the mindset of police is about building a case, and, and that's something we could reflect on. Do we want investigators who are um, in league with prosecutors to build a case? And uh, again, not making any judgment on that. Just you know, because yeah. I don't. No one no one sets out to put an innocent person in prison. Um, un- unless you're crazy, right? Unless you're, you know, psychotic in a way, you don't set out to do that. Right. Uh, but, um, but is that the, it, does the procedural, do the procedural kind of institutional incentives and lineups cause exactly that kind of thing to happen? Now, and the other thing that was maybe, I agree with you, not, I would have liked to have seen more attention on this because I think it's the basic societal question and that's what does reasonable doubt mean? And it's, it's not like no one ever talks about this. This is like what that means is like the, the central theme of a whole bunch of movies and yeah. TV shows and everything else. And yet 
it always seems to be hidden. It always seems to be treated in kind of a formalist way. Like reasonable doubt is this like platonic ideal and like we just think enough about what reasonable means and doubt means. And we'll, Where in fact, it's just a mechanism we have for allocating between two different kinds of errors, the kind that Joe mentioned before, letting people go or putting them in prison both wrongfully. Um, and in this case, I just, you know, from my part, I again, I think he's, um, uh, if I had to guess, probably guilty. I, I don't know. I mean, or, or at least probably involved. Right. I'm not so sure. I mean, if it were a wrongful death case, I would have a really hard time based on the evidence that we have right now. But reasonable doubt, it just, I don't see, to me, the fact that the jury didn't find reasonable doubt in the second trial is like evidence that something something went terribly wrong. But maybe that's my perspective. Do you have a different perspective on it? So two things. One, one I, I guess I agree that these are really important themes that I would I would like to see <laughs> a narrative like this handle. And that one of the things that just really strikes me is that the the serial um, model here where they're doing it as they go just doesn't lend itself well to tease out of the facts that you're gathering, those sorts of important questions. And so it becomes very much more of just a, oh, I'm really curious as to, you know, what's in that letter and how they found this guy, this, the body in the woods. And I mean, it's, it's all seems trivialized and we're missing out on those really larger questions because you're doing it on the fly. Um, so the other thing I would just say is we're running out of time here. I, the one thing that actually really jumped out to me, to, to me as a lawyer was that I have a much, much greater appreciation for some of the procedural aspects of a trial um, than I did before because I felt I felt very uncomfortable at many stages about sort of what evidence was being what evidence and what speculation was being allowed into the show and which was not, um, right. and that that was very it made me feel very uncomfortable um, those decisions being made by a journalist without seemingly without the same sorts of rules and rigor that I would hope to see from a legal proceeding. And it, it, it gave me a real sense of, you know, yeah, maybe this type of investigation that happened in this case doesn't play out in a trial, but that's actually because we have to care about the reliability on a, on a deeper level, the reliability of the kind of evidence that's being put on it. So, so it made you appreciate the reasons better for exactly. Ru- exactly. rules of evidence and process. Right. Yeah. Well, Nathan, I wish we had more time. Um, we're gonna we're gonna call our next guest, but um, it's Understood. so good to talk to I you. I enjoyed again. it. Um, glad that we could catch up. Yeah, awesome. See you later, man. Thanks. Take care. So, one thing that I think, as you're getting our next call, one thing I think about, um, like as as I'm hearing Nathan's critique, is in a sense the problem with serial isn't that there was too much of it; it's that there was too little of it. Like it would be great if they could, if it could have been twenty four episodes, where so they could have had some episodes where they start to pursue some of these th- wider themes, some of these almost jurisprudential questions, yeah. the differences between journalism and law. Yeah, that's but, what I thought too. There's like you know, maybe, maybe he's saying there should have been another couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah. Where, you, where you get at some of these interstitial uh, issues. Hey, Anthony. Hey, how are you? Um, uh, sorry, we're a couple minutes late. We it, oh, we've no, we've had on. You, you, and I don't know how the show's going to go, but in the um, in the order of, of of actual life, you're the third call that we've made. 
And, um, and each guest is like, you know, we want to spend a little bit more time. So, uh, but, but you are the first oral argument alum that we are talking to today. Hey, Anthony. So, uh, and we can use your full name, right? Good. Yeah. So are are you in, are you in points North, uh, at this stage? Uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in New Jersey. It's very cold and, um, you know, it's kind of the ideal weather for, uh, blue booking and and such so because i have no desire to be doing anything but staying inside and drinking coffee so it's kind of like <laughs> the ideal place to get stuff done um so this is this yeah. is anthony christ this is anthony christ who's an alum from our uh, gay marriage episode um w- where um towards the end of that episode every time we hit stop like a new gay marriage decision just kind of rolled in so <laughs> Yeah, I think was, we're in a I think we're in a quieter period on that issue. So I think it's unlikely to have a new decision during this phone call. If one comes in, though, Anthony, you tell us, and we will the, we'll interrupt I, proceedings. You know, to be, to be honest with you, Arkansas is is probably due before the end of the year, so that that might very well happen. So we'll, we'll <laughs> see, but I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> it, this is not that show, but um, but that would be an important enough development where, yeah. where you can break in. So tell yeah. tell me what you think about serial, Anthony. What 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 was so, your top line view? Yeah, so um, so I, I was kind of obsessed with it, like like so many other folks. Um, you know, for me, actually, the the thing that struck me the most, just on a personal level, um, you know, I think about ten, fifteen years ago, what I was doing, and um, you know, so two thousand and you know, two thousand, I graduated eighth grade. I was in high school in two thousand. So you know, I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, that that kind of that that era, you know, was high school for me too right so um yeah so just narratively there was some resonance for you then right so so for me the first thing i was thinking to myself was you know if something of that magnitude happened to me that long ago when i was you know that young would i would i be able to remember where i was and what i was doing and and be able to recount it um you know a couple weeks after the fact or you know for that matter years down the road um, and I, you know, I struggled for something that was on some, you know, quite, quite obviously are, but, you know, as close as I could get. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, September the 11th happened when I was a sophomore in high school. You know, obviously I knew that day, the significance of that day. Right. So, you know, if, if, if there's any day in high school that I should be able to remember where I was and where I was going and who I talked to, um, it might be a day like that. Um, and so I just spent some time thinking about, that day. And, you know, I, I have certain moments where I have very clear memories of, you know, where I, where I do or where I heard certain information or where I went. Um, and, you know, being in New Jersey at the time, I, you know, a lot of people worked in the World Trade Center. So it actually had a lot of, you know, local personal significance. But, you know, other than certain moments of, you know, real clarity, I wouldn't be able to tell you, you know, anything about what I did between certain hours. And, you know, I would have just these generic vague responses, um, very similar to the ones that you, you know, that, that, that Sarah Koenig is, is, is exposing, um, you know, from Adnan and, and some of the other people in, in, you know, in the case. So um, that kind of struck me, you know, thinking both back at the time uh, or, you know, looking back, when I was in high school that, you know, more or less. That's, you know, same yeah, that's, uh, it's so interesting that you say that. Now I was in, in law school, um, when sep- the, the events of September 11th happened on September 11th. Uh, 
And I was on the West Coast, and, and, and I remember very distinctly getting a call from my mom that woke us up to tell us something horrible had happened, and then going downstairs and turning on the TV and, and seeing it. And I remember watching it, and I remember distinctly hearing, um, uh, listening to NPR throughout the day. Um, and I remember the, the special kind of musical interludes they had, which were very somber. I, I remember all of that. And, and I also remember a gathering at the law school of the whole law school to talk about this. But, and in my mind at various points, I've, I've identified that with the very same day and I have these really distinct memories, but it's almost like the more distinct and crisp the memory, the more in retrospect, I might be distrustful of that memory. And, and my wife has told me on various things that I remember that day actually happened the day after. Mm. Um, and so I, I know that, I mean, this is, you know, maybe my memory is worse than most people. It is in a lot of ways, I'm sure. But, but I think that even, it's it's funny you say that. And again, I was an older person, you know, and uh must have been twenty uh nine. Um and, and so maybe it's not the same as a as a teenager, but it's still it was a long time ago. Um and, and I don't trust my memories about that. Yeah, the right. fallibility yeah. of human memory is is re- a really important thing about this uh about serial and, and what it exposes and explores and and the degree to which uh you have a person being convicted and sentenced to life in prison on the basis of very little other than Jay, the testimony of Jay, uh, and the way that some, it turns out quite selectively chosen correspondences between cell phone tower pings and Jay's testimony connect together. Right. Um, very little other than that. Uh, and, and the fact that Jay, I mean, because he knows where the car is, where he knows where Hayes' car was, um, is the one person who's like clearly involved in some way. <laughs> but of course, he's not the one who gets convicted and sentenced to life in prison. So the, the, when you think about the fallibility of human memory and the fact that we're prepared to convict people of these most serious crimes on the basis of little other than someone's recollection of an event, uh, is pretty remarkable. I mean, it's pretty stunning. When you think about it, yeah. What did you take away from your exercise about your own memory, Anthony? You, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I have distinct memories of you know I learned about it in AP World History, um, and I remember talking about it in 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 the I was in it was an English class or something, and I remember at some point I tried to go to the library because we wanted to watch CNN or something like that, um, and then I remember going home, but. I was trying to wrap my brain, and I thought, well, were after-school activities canceled? Of course, they, they must have been canceled, but I don't remember how I got home. I remember being home at some point. Um, you know, I don't remember when I tried to go to the library, but it must have been between some time I went home and, 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 you know, when I was in English class, because English class was right before lunch. So I was trying to piece this timeline together, and, and it just wasn't working. Um, you know, and of course, maybe I would have been able to do it much better. I, I'm not sure I would have been. Um, you know, three, four weeks after the fact, but, you know, trying to, and, and trying to do it now, especially, you know, I just had these little flashpoints and, and but there's just huge gaps. Um, and so, and, and just to be clear, you, but ju- yeah, just to be clear, you're trying to remember the events which happened after nine 11. So imagine that you, uh, um, nine 11 right. happened like late in the day. And you were being quizzed on your memory of stuff that happened earlier in the day before the event. I, and yeah, so I mean, even I, if it's no, true that, no yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that, that made you, I guess, yeah, go ahead. 
So, so I mean, that really made me much, much more um, sympathetic to Adnan not knowing, you know, or, or not having the, the details down, even though something very significant happened that day. You know, uh, you know, I, I guess it, it resonated with me because I knew on September 11th how important that day was. I mean, I, I, I knew that something historic and, and, you know, very, you know, nationally important happened and was happening. And I still don't, you know, I, you know, I still don't know. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess it, it made me much more sympathetic towards his lack of memory. Um, you know, e- even though something important happened that day. I mean, like you said too, you know, it, I, the memories I have are all after I, after I knew or found out, not before. Um, so, so yeah, that, that just struck me as, and, and the other thing too, again, you know, being a high school student, um, you know, I, mm. I'm not sure if my memory is, is quite, you know, the way I perceive things, you know, I would, if I would have made the same value judgment about what I should, you know, what I might remember down the road. Right. So, you know, if I'm an adult and I'm a fully formed individual, maybe the things I would choose or I would be more likely to remember are going to be different because the significance would, you know, would, would be, I would feel that significance. Um, you know, if a friend of mine went missing today, I might very well feel the significance of that, the police phone call or, you know, that day or something. I might remember it differently because I'm an adult as opposed to, you know, a 16, 17 year old in high school. Um, so, so a lot of these things just certainly because of the timing, you know, that the, the parallels and timing, um, you know, it just, it just boggles my mind on so many levels. Um, how do yeah. we ever... I mean, how should we ever, this is, when we're trying to decide whether to impose these massive penalties on individuals, um, and again, knowing in advance that the mere administration of a criminal justice system with these kinds of penalties will involve some kinds of, of radically undeserved and radically punitive sacrifice, right? Some innocent mm-hmm. people will go to jail for a long time, right? And, and knowing that that will happen. Um, but but knowing, you know, if, if we really felt the weight of that sacrifice as a society and, and individually, um, how would we ever find out, how would we how would we ever obtain satisfaction with the administration of that system? So, for, for example, we know, and we've known this for a long time, but we keep acting like we're just finding this stuff out about the brand. We, eyewitness testimony is is very unreliable. You know, almost uh, mm. memory as, as the personal exercise that you went through is is very pliable. Uh, it's not fixed. And and uh, there was a blog post the other day. Was it a was it Posner who wrote about this? I forget. I, I, I don't know where I read it, but it was just about the um, kind of the excited utterance. I think it was in Posner's um, uh, that, that thing that we linked to a while ago. It was his, in, in his um, keynote at the Empirical Legal, Legal Studies Conference. Yes. Right? The, the, how right. so much of the law is based on these presumptions, which are just false. Like, uh, are, are, is testimony more reliable when someone is giving kind of an excited utterance, something which happens without the opportunity for reflection? And, and I think he was citing the fact that, well, no, science says it's not necessarily more reliable. Um, we make all these presumptions in the law, which have turned out to be false about the reliability uh, of evidence. Um, so, you know, eyewitness testimony, like I said, um, memory, I, I forget some of the other ones, but the tick down the usual evidence 
that leads us to this so-called certainty that we have in criminal cases. And, and the whole thing seems to, to fall apart in close cases. And I imagine maybe a lot of cases are not so close. And, and, and Sarah Koenig said in, in the last episode that they talked to people about, you know, well, it, if you put this much effort into each case, would they all kind of become wispy vapors rather than certainty? And, and, and a lot of people she talked to said, no, this case was unusual for the lack of, uh, any physical evidence for the inconsistency, inconsistencies of memory. Um, but anyway, I, do you have any thoughts about that, Anthony? Like, how should we do this thing, which calls for the most, um, the, 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 the highest, almost the highest form of sacrifice from individuals yeah. in our society? So what I, do you think? You know, what, you know what's, what's been really great about this? Um, you know, I, I have these, you know, we have these kinds of discussions with some regularity, you know, in the legal academy and, and in the academy broadly. Um, but I, what, what Serial has done is brought some of these issues um, to non-lawyers, and it's really broadened the debate for, for at least for me. Um, so I have a lot of friends who are just, you know, their, their ideas of how the justice system works, um, it, it's just so, it, it's, it's, you know, the, their idea of what justice is isn't really what the courts are meeting out. So, you know, for them, the idea of, of innocence, of uh, ineffective assistance of counsel, um, you know, in their mind, it's just a fairly, you know, I don't want to say it's a low threshold to meet, but it's not the legal threshold. Um, you know, their idea of, of how the court should be able to remedy uh, you know, a situation here where, you know, whether he's you know, innocent or guilty, you know, aside, um, clearly there's, there's more than sufficient reasonable doubt that he should not have been convicted. But yet, you know, from a legal standard, that's just not how it works. Um, so that to me is what I've found more, most fascinating is seeing how people without legal training perceive this. And, and most of them just see this, this huge miscarriage of justice and, and don't fundamentally understand how the law can allow this to, these things to happen, um, and and maybe and as a side note, I think that might have been one of the failings of Serial. And I don't really, you know, I loved it, so I, I have very few criticisms. Um, but there are systemic issues in the, in the justice system, um, which the which this case touches on. You know, whether, whether you want to talk about how juveniles are treated in in the legal system, or racial and religious biases, or you know, the, the standards of proof or, or, you know, the standards required um, for post-conviction relief or what have you, um, you know, th- those things I think could have been or, you know, could should be discussed more in light of, of this. Um, but again, you know, for me, it, the, the biggest takeaway I've, been, I've had is just how people, non, you know, average, um, you know, very smart folks without legal training have perceived this. And, and, and you know, they're much more shocked than, than I am because, you know, I, I guess I've been kind of a culture to, you know, to this, you know, these things. And you just say, well, that's not the standard. And, yeah. You know, you know yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because some, some lawyers that I've talked to on, on Facebook and, and otherwise um, seem to be more willing to accept this result than I was and, and are more convinced of his guilt and, and are more willing to say um, that, being kind of convinced of his guilt means that what you can't say what the jury did was wrong. And, and I have to say, right. I still don't quite understand that. We explored that with uh, listener hunt earlier and, and others. But um, uh, I, to me, the fact that 
they found that a jury found reason, so-called reasonable doubt here is evidence that something went terribly wrong. Because yeah. I, I just don't see a way you could rationally conclude that there is not reasonable doubt. To me, that represents a failure of imagination in some way, right? That it's a, a failure to imagine all the scenarios consistent with innocence, which have some significant probability of having occurred. Um, right. But I don't know how to get, you know, what's the right way to get a jury to think about reasonable doubt rather than reading these long instructions about what it is and how it's not just any doubt, but it's this kind of doubt and that. I mean, tr- yeah, I, we're trying to quantify it in this formal way, and I don't think that works. Well, I think I think one issue, and I, I don't remember where I quite heard this, but, um, you know, so this, I believe it's a Scottish uh, system where it's, uh, you know, it's guilty or not proven. Um and you know, as or, or, to not guilty. or not guilty. And, no, and well, I think they've got. That, I think they've got all three. They've yeah. got all three. Uh, okay. Oh, do they? they yeah. All three. Um, yeah. so guilty, not so guilty, or not proved. So I. So some, you know, when, when that was mentioned to me, you know, I thought, you know, you know, these these you know jurors are people too, right? And and so they might have very well been been convinced that, or to some extent that, um, you know, that that Adam actually committed this murder, um, but still had reasonable doubts, but there might just be some cognitive, you know, issue there with saying not guilty. Um, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe there's, there, there are, there are some procedural fixes that we can, you know, um, we could pursue as, as a society to, you know, correct for some of the, you know, these cognitive biases that undermine, um, the standard that should be applied. Um, you know, maybe not, maybe having not proven w- would be a helpful tool to get jurors to wrap their mind around the idea that you don't have to say this guy is innocent. You just have to say the state hasn't proven their, their case. Um, in similar ways, which is actually what we require substantively. That's what we require. Whereas saying not guilty is to say something factual about what this person did, or is to say not proven is to make a factual statement about what the state did. did. Right. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in tandem with that, um, what struck me about a few of the, the, the jurors, or at least one um, of the jurors' responses on, on the podcast was, oh, well, you know, he should have testified. You know, why, why wouldn't he testify? Um, and, of course, as trained lawyers, it, it, you know, it's just a natural, you know, to me, it's just, well, you, know, you wouldn't put your client up there. Um, you know, it's a dangerous thing to do. So, of course, you know, of course, that's a, that's probably a smart decision. And, and you're not supposed to infer guilt from the lack of, uh, of um, you know, or from refusing or, you know, declining to testify on your own behalf. You know, but, but that's not how jurors see it. So, you know, there certainly needs to be, there needs to be some, you know, look at, at procedure. Is there a way that we can, you know, get, at the heart of what's making jurors think the way they do improperly um, and, and kind of guide them in a better direction. Cool. Well, thanks <clears throat> Thanks for joining us. And, and until next time. All right. <laughs> cool. Which th- I'm sure there will be a next time. Yeah. yeah thanks a care, lot. Anthony. See ya. All right. See ya. Hello. Jasmine. Yes. Hi. How are you? It's Christian. It's so good to hear your voice. It's good to hear you too. And I've got Joe here with me. Hello. Great. Hi, Joe. Uh, thanks so much for agreeing to to talk to us. Um, do, I, now, I don't know if you want to be anonymous, and so I'll have to cut that part out, if you just want to go by Jasmine, or if you want to say more about who you are and, and, and where you work and how you know me. I, I, how much? How far do you want to go with this? Um, we can say a 
little bit, yeah. Um, I am Jasmine Guillory. I was a law school classmate of Christians. Um, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I work for a political communication firm. Jasmine is a super nice person, and um, and I've been really impressed with your you know just reading through your Facebook feed. I always learn new stuff, and and, you, and oh, it's well, fair to say same to you. Oh, yeah, I knew there's a lot. I've got a lot of nonsense on mine, but um, it's fair to say that you've been a little bit obsessed with the serial thing, right? A little bit, yeah. I kind of have a love hate relationship with it. I feel like, yeah. So that's a, you're almost a perfect guest for this episode. We've been we've talked to a few people already, and we've talked to uh, uh, between the two of us about kind of the useful social functions that at least some of us think the show is serving. We had one uh, guest who you would know, actually, former classmate of ours, who expressed some skepticism over whether this was socially valuable and, or whether it was misleading. Um, and then, of course, there's a diversity of, opin- of opinions about the, you know, the substance of the event. But why don't you just tell us, if you had to kind of say one thing about, like, your most important reaction to the show, like, what would it be for you? One of my biggest well, one of my biggest frustrations with it has been, um, you know, both Sarah in her conversations with Adnan and then in some of the cultural conversations around it, I've talked about, you know, wh- in the, whether he's guilty or innocent conversation have been about like, oh, well, he doesn't really have a motive. So why would he have killed her as opposed to anyone else? And like, no one brings up that at least a third of women who die violently are killed by a partner or a former partner. And that it's not, it's not that, I mean, the specific motive, it's just that like men get angry and kill the women that they used to date or that they are currently dating. That's a very common thing. And it frustrates me that that's, that the issue of domestic violence isn't one that came out of this or that she hasn't talked about or that like more people haven't talked about. Yeah, there wasn't an ep- there wasn't an episode about that, was there? There was no, not. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think part of it is like, oh, well, he seems like such a nice guy, so obviously that couldn't be it. And a lot of people who like hit women seem like really nice guys. And I feel like domestic violence has been a part of the cultural conversation a lot this year with like the way right stuff and just the NFL in general. And I sort of thought that that would get picked up because of serial, and it the whole issue seems to have kind of been ignored. Do you know, she had that, the last, uh, that episode about rumors, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that too, if you have any, but you know, she had an, she had a whole episode about rumors that they tried to track yeah. down things, which would never have been admissible in court, but, um, but, but, but would affect like a reasonable person's evaluation of this thing, you know, it, cause a lot of it went to kind of, um, uh, propensity evidence, which as you know, I think you were in my evidence class, but, um, yeah. you're, you're not, you're not allowed to go right through the propensity mm-hmm. box, right? You got to go around it in evidence law. You yeah. can't show that, that someone has the propensity to murder and acted in, in, in accordance with that propensity. You can't, you generally can't show that kind of character evidence, but, um, uh, but she mentioned in that show that there was this one rumor that if it were true, they sh- wouldn't even have the show because it would be so clear. Um, and right. they, they couldn't prove it. And, and I, I, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm kind of of two minds about whether even to speculate about it or not, but I wonder if it has something to do with domestic violence type allegations or, or violence yeah, or something. Yeah, I don't know. Right. That, and I was, I wondered that too. And she said that she, you know, asked someone about it who would have been the person that had the smoking gun and he couldn't remember yeah. anything. So I don't know yeah. if it's that Adnan said something it, to him or at a party or something or right or that he had or he had dated someone and hurt someone in the past um, or someone's just making up crap I, I have, 
Right, or somebody just making something else. Um, and something yeah. else that I kept wondering, and I think she sort of answered this, but I wondered this throughout all the first episodes. And then it's funny because that um, first episode with the Innocence Project, I, I heard so many people say, like, oh, that was a really boring episode. And every lawyer I know was like, oh, God, thank God, finally talked. She talked to some lawyers. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt. <laughs> and, and my, like, they finally brought up the issue of sexual assault, which I had been wondering since the very beginning. Because often when, like, women are killed by strangers, they are first sexually assaulted. And I think that that issue is important to know. Like, I think that leads to you know, if if he didn't kill her, then he if he killed her, he would not have been likely sexual assault her, partly because of the timeline, et cetera. Right, and right. she never brought up, like, whether we know or not if she was sexually assaulted. And I think in that case, we sort of figured out that, or in that episode, we sort of figured out that they couldn't tell from her body because it, had been, it, it took so long to find her, et cetera. But, yeah. like, I, I wish that there had been more a more clear cut answer to that question. Um, or even the if way- they had, or even if they come out and said, we don't know the answer. Cause like, cause like that is, that, that was the first question that came to my mind. Like a woman is killed, but she's sexually assaulted. Cause that, that's the thing that usually happens, you know? Yeah. Well, one way that domestic violence got alluded to only in the most oblique fashion, uh, is that a few times, I think, um, that I can recall, they mentioned that, of course, um, Adnan and Don thought they would be suspects um, yeah. because they were boyfriends, right? Um, yeah. And that's get that gets said a few times, but that's the only sense in which this issue's really been teed up squarely. Yeah, and they yeah they kind of should have picked it up. I'm going to say and, it for the second time now in, in this in this situation where I feel like the problem with serial is that there hasn't been enough serial. It's like it needed yeah. to be 24 episodes, not 12. Right. Huh. So they could and, do more of this stuff. They, they did sort of allude to it in um, kind of the, the race episode where people talked about, uh, I think maybe the juror said something about, um, you know, Muslim men are mean to their wives or something like that. Yep. To yep. make it more likely that not did it. But that was in kind of a very different context. So it wasn't really about domestic violence. It was more about just sort of stereotypes. But I thought that was kind of interesting, Jasmine, that that, um, because I thought the domestic violence aspect, to the extent that that was or or that violence against women was um, uh, because of um, gender issues was was a motive here, that 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 was especially problematic to talk about in this case, because it was almost like the implication is it was almost assumed by the jurors. That was the point of the racial evidence or the racialist thinking was to um that even if you don't think in general that nice suburban uh white white guys hit their girlfriends or would be willing to kill them over you know a sexual slight um this guy is um from an honor culture and and they take this you know that that kind of inference was like dripping all over at least one of the episodes and it made it harder to talk about domestic violence i think because of of that and i don't know uh, you know, I'd have to look. That was I don't remember which episode that was, but I'd listened to it a long time ago, and so I don't know if she gave it, you know, short shrift in the long run, or if the, or or if that actually was a decent job in terms of talking about the problems of, of of you know, gendered violence in the context of, of race. I don't, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one problem with 
the way she did things like that is she just kind of let people say things and let the comments stand on their own without contextualizing them. Um, so she didn't really say, you know, oh, if someone says that, that's racist because X, Y, Z. I mean, obviously she wasn't going to say it as baldly as that, but right. you know, to give <laughs> some statistics or to give some information, she would just sort of interview people and let their comments stand, which you definitely made for a compelling thing to listen to. But right. I, I just wish that there were more footnotes, you know? That's, yeah, but do you think, I mean, in, in, <laughs> in some ways, though, it's like it was a, the, the whole narrative of it showed just the messiness of our system, just how many messy people with all of their yeah. both institutional and individual incentives and, and bound to their culture and time are all having inputs into this process from the stage of like high school kids working these things out and this, and, and, and a murder actually occurring to the investigation yeah. of that murder, to the interrogations, to the decision, whether to, to kind of rat out your friend or to make up a story and lie about your friend to the um, prosecutors, to the jury. And then to the listeners and the way the rest of us think about these crimes, like they're just a bunch of messy human beings with all their biases who are just interacting in this pool of sadness, you know, in a case like this. And, and that came out to me and, and, um, could she, I don't know if she could have done a better job with that. I mean, her, her objective, but subjectively informed style, I, I thought helped, helped, uh, helped me see it that way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. I just, um, right, I just wish that there was more context around everything, but I think that that's just because, I mean, certain things like um, like the prosecutor paying for Jay's lawyer, you know, every lawyer who heard that was like, oh my God, what? But And I just <laughs> wish that there had been more explanation of why that was so crazy. Um, like things like that that came out, and I'm sure that there are things that came out that I didn't even pick up that that were a big deal. Um, which is why I sort of loved reading other what other people say about it. That other people picked up that like, oh wow, that was I can't believe that that happened, you know. Um, so I wish that there had been a little bit more context for some, for some of oh. the little bits of information about that. Yeah, and there's of course there's there's a whole cottage industry on Reddit and other places of of of, of newly deputized investigators who, yeah, <laughs> who are exactly. kind of pouring all over this stuff. But I don't know how you're. I'd be interested to hear how your Facebook looks because mine, you know, I've got some people posting on there that are basically accusing Sarah Koenig of being a dishonest liar. Uh, all the way from that to really? can you believe that this is a uh, can you believe the in- radical injustice which is occurring here? And and Joe and I have already talked on the on the show in the, in a part because you're not listening live that you didn't hear about our own views about it, which I think are a little bit complicated. Um, first of all, you know, if you want to talk about your own views about guilt or innocence or, uh, you know, factual guilt or innocence and then reasonable doubt, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But if you also just want to tell us about the range of things you're seeing in your little slice of, of either Facebook or, or in your real life, that, that could be really interesting. Yeah, I've definitely seen a big range. I mean, the bulk of the people I know have said that you know there was no there was no reasonable doubt, and after listening to it to all of this, there's even less reasonable doubt, which I completely agree with. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, the key information was Jay. Um, it's obvious that the jury believed him, but given, and so maybe 
you know, maybe at trial because of the things that, because of the things that a non-employer did wrong um, or didn't let information out or things like that, maybe they thought they had, you know, they thought there was no reasonable doubt. I, I mean, that's the, it, it's hard for me to think that there was reasonable doubt at trial, even less so now after hearing all the information. Um, really? This, this surprises me. Because it, it, to me, it seems crazy to say there's no reasonable doubt here. I, uh, to be honest, I mean that. Uh, uh, that and we have it in microcosm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have it right here. Right. Yeah. This 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 radical because you know the 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 key piece of information here, right? Because oh, Jay no, no, is. I, I, no, I mean I'm in, like I absolutely have reasonable doubt. I would not have convicted oh. him. Oh right. Okay. No, but, well, but then I misunderstood. Get on the jury. <laughs> right. So. What well, I none of none of us is. I don't think any of our listeners <laughs> yeah. would get on. Yeah, but I would love no. to be on the jury so much. So, do you do you? Th- I mean, are you? Uh, so maybe I misunderstood. Do you have a lot of people who are saying that there is no reasonable doubt here? Um, that, it, in other words, is what happened to Adnan evidence that something went horribly wrong at trial? Um, uh, or is it evidence that the jury did a good thing? Uh, I mean. Yeah, yes, I think evidence that something went horribly wrong at trial, but I don't, like, I think that, right? I don't really know if the general public is saying that, um, because I think a lot of people in the end think that he did it, and so think that maybe something did go wrong at trial, but the right person is in jail, which, you know, I, I don't, I can't think of the criminal justice system in that way, so... Even yeah. if I and I do and I and I actually am inclined to think that he did do it, but I'm still not happy that he's in prison because he, I don't think he should have been convicted. Yeah, um, this is one of those cases, right? Where, um, like we were saying before, before you came on, like, like I have, you know, I'm kind of an equipoise about if I run like a wrongful death jury trying to conclude by preponderance, you know, did he do it? I and I feel horrible about this because you're speculating about someone being a murderer who who may not be a murderer yeah. right and, and but i you know given everything given that jay knew where the car was right? right um and that's the big thing like he knew where it was and so jay was somehow involved or knew the people involved given that piece of evidence and then a few other things is it yeah i'm i'm inclined to think that probably but maybe just barely probably he was he was involved but that's a you know um but there are plenty of reasons to think that maybe he's innocent. And uh, the, the idea that you could conclude beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty seems nuts to me, even on the evidence that, that was before the jury. And yet I've got super smart friends who totally disagree with this. And I think there's something inherently – it's about this trade-off that Joe and I were talking about before you came on, the trade-off between letting someone go who doesn't deserve to be let go – and convicting someone who doesn't deserve to be convicted, like that's that's the terrain that the reasonable doubt right. standard is trying to, you know, and operate you in. know that whole conversation has come up in the whole torture conversation, right? Um, oh yeah, and it's the it's the balance between like what Dick Cheney said, like, well, you know, I'd rather torture some people who didn't deserve it as long as we have all the terrorists, you know, right? Um, and I am on the, not surprisingly, opposite side from that. <laughs> I would rather have murderers go free than have innocent people in jail. Um, yeah. And I sort of feel like that's the way the criminal justice system is supposed to work. That's what, that's what reasonable doubt means. Um, so, and I think, 
I mean, it was, you know, it was 1999. I think the DNA testing wasn't as, wasn't what it is now, right? Because people keep asking, why didn't they test the DNA? And I think that, right. I mean, I can't, right, I wasn't even in law school. Well, I guess that was our first year in law school. Um, yeah. But I don't, so, so maybe that's why they didn't test it. But I think, yeah, I mean, you know, unless you have, unless you have something key tying someone to something, then I get like that's the whole yeah, point of our criminal yeah. justice system. I mean, this is the whole, and we were also talking about this. This is the whole tragedy of the situation. Is that you know, yeah. No matter how much you spend, there are going to be, uh, if Adnan is innocent, there are going to be Adnan Saeeds in in jail. I mean, no matter yeah. how much you you, uh, and and there are certainly, you know, no matter how much you spend, there are going to be murderers who are never convicted and yeah. uh, who are and present more dangerous to society, however you want to think about those right. costs. How, so how would you, if, if you could do one thing, um, and maybe this is an unfair question, but like, you know, with a, how, what would you do to make this better? I mean, how, how would you assess that, that problem of tragic consequences on either side? I mean, I actually think that the, in this case, it's about a trial, right? But I actually think that the the tragedies are not so much in the trials, but it's in the people who plead because they think that they have no other option. Because um, yeah. there are plenty of people who, you know, they're poor, they have an overworked public defender um, who tells them that they can do this and they can, you know, plead out to something and they can have less time. And that happens all the time. Um, and lots of people in jail who didn't do anything, but they think they have no other option and they're being threatened, um, by the police and the prosecutor and whoever else. And so that's why they get, that's why they get in jail. And I think, you know, the trial situation is a bad one, but, um, but that's, you know, that, that's even a bigger problem, I think. Yeah. We're not going to solve that problem today. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks yeah. so much for talking to us, Jasmine. We're it gonna, was my we pleasure. The next one to get to, but, um, but boy, you'd be a great guest for the show sometime. Yeah. Be, be, keep us in mind, Jasmine. Yeah, all righty. Have a great Christmas. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. That's a great point about the power of, of, of the, the way that, uh, we, the way that the system appears to use uh, standing on your rights as an incentive against you. Yeah. Like, if you make us go through this, we're definitely going to punish you worse. Yeah. The, the problem of plea bargaining has been, you know, with overworked public defenders. I mean, right. yeah, this a case like this only kind of shows, and Adnan even talked about this in one of the episodes. But it actually does make sense for a guilty party. If, if a person is guilty, it does make sense for the system to say, if you put us to the expense of reaching a conclusion we can all agree we should reach right now, yeah, you will be made to pay for it more dearly. That right. is actually the right way to think about if you know to a certain degree, which of course you don't, because this whole thing is about detecting. It just, it, but it compounds the problem with innocent people. Of, of course it does. Yeah, yeah. Like, because it's stuck in the same trade-off yeah. everything else is stuck in. Let's get Marissa on the phone. Let's do that. Hello? Marissa? Yes? It's Christian. So good to Hi, have Christian. you on the phone. From across the, uh, yeah. we just talked to another Californian, and now we are talking to someone else in California. It's a good place to be right now. Yeah, and so so do we want to leave you anonymous, or do we want to say listener Marissa, or do we want to say 
um, ghost of uh, of oral argument past Marisa Baradaran. Either way, doesn't matter to me. This is your third appearance on the show. I know. I'm, I'm going to count this as an appearance. Th- this is definitely an appearance. I'm not going to appear, but you know. Uh, you're a co-host. I guess as far you never have tell. anyone appear, so I guess yeah, sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, we appear in the same way that Sarah Koenig appeared in the show. I mean, you know, that exactly. t- t- th- this show, Serial, had an enormous amount of presence, whatever else you want to say about it, right? It was, right. Uh, yeah. Well, it, listen, we've been asking everybody as we've been calling people, um, because I think people have different reactions and different things a- about the show that stood out to them, you know, different mm-hmm. Whether it's kind of the the meta aspects of the show, like what it says about our culture, or if they are just intensely interested in the the facts about this case, or interested in the social consequences of of you know that that are become apparent because of the way this case uh, has been you know brought and litigated, etc. So I'll just ask at the beginning, like what's your what's your most important reaction in, in your own mind uh, to what you've heard? So yeah, I guess I cared a lot less about the who did it. Um, solving the crime aspect of it. I mean, I think, you know, that that was a added bonus of being able to piece things together. But I was just really impressed. I'm a podcast fan, right? I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a This American Life fanatic. I've listened to maybe every one of those episodes. I've listened to every Radio Lab and every um, Freakonomics and, you know, just tons and tons of podcasts when I'm running and doing stuff. And so I was most interested in this new format of podcasting and, and how, how is this going to differ? And I found it to be just, it's just riveting, you know, just the way she puts it out. And I'm, you know, I'm a fan of Sarah Koenig's from This American Life. So I, I, I was going to listen no, no matter what, and I was going to get hooked. But the, 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 the part that actually got me the most hooked was the user, sort of the user involvement, right? That we, gets to um, be involved somehow and there was no quick wrap up and you know a lot of the podcasts they get you involved they ask a few questions and then they answer them and this one you know so I really liked that the open-ended nature of it I I was never I thought I had hoped maybe it would become clear like who killed Hay um, or whether Adnan was absolutely innocent or not and I I don't know Um, I I and I I actually was a critic at some point. I think she overstepped, and I did have like deep discomfort throughout a lot of the episodes. Just the way, just too intrusive. I felt like into these people's private lives, and so that actually I think um, made it a little bit interesting too. Because I kind of wanted to listen because I, you know, when when things when things are you're not sure are, are okay happening, you kind of want to keep an eye on it, you know? So there was a little yeah. bit of that too. Like I wasn't completely comfortable with this show. Mostly this American life, there does seem to be like this volunteer aspect of it. And this one, I always felt a little bit on edge listening. Like, is this, is this okay? You know, and I, I remember yeah. there's a couple of you know, Facebook posts I put up, like, is this okay? Or, or is what we're doing the right thing? You know? So I, I'm still not sure about that. Um, can you can you elaborate a little bit more? I'm I'm com- I'm having trouble understanding what you mean when you ask. This. I I get it exactly. Okay. I get it exactly. So can one of you two explain it? No, so, let, let, well, obviously Marissa should explain it. <laughs> go ahead, yeah, Marissa. So I, go ahead. No, 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 so you no. You, 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 you I, Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so what I what I think was the the most um, uncomfortable thing about this for me is, um, look. These are people, so, so Adnan's in prison, right? Um, 
But there's a lot of these people who are just these normal people living these normal lives. Adnan's family and Jay and Hay's family and all these friends of theirs who may or may not have been involved. Jay specifically, right? Most of the internet thinks he did it, you know? And some people, some other sort of amateurs, Reddit folk, have like gone by his house and like tried to collect their own facts. Reddit folk have come up with other suspects, right? So so that, the nature of that kind of um, intrusiveness um, it, it makes me very uncomfortable. And then a couple of episodes with um, Adnan's family. Like, I, I have to admit, you know, I listen to this, and Adnan's family strikes me as a little bit like my own family, right? Um, you know, immigrants, um, Muslim community, and, you know, like normal kids, but with, but with very, um, like, other world parents. And my parents were not, like, Adnan's parents were not that, you know, um, religious. but still different people and I can imagine if a journalist, an American journalist got involved in my life and started talking, you know, my parents would would just be deeply uncomfortable. You know, so there's a lot of that just like, are are you sure these people are willing sort of participants in this, right? Are we sure that Adnan is okay with what's ha- happening? Um and there was that that letter that he sent um from prison, you know, where I felt like and I uh, I think I put this on Facebook as well, where he's just asking her to stop. And I don't know if I was misreading it, but it seems like, especially when she went into the mosque stuff, like why was he stealing money when he was 10? Right. And I felt like she was going over the line. Like we're we're taking this person's character as a teenager, as a preteen, and, and then using it to, you know, talk about his crime. Um, and, and that's fine in a trial. Um, and a lot of trials are public. So. But aren't you well, just uh, like can, asking? Can I just, since yeah. I'm the one who asked her to explain it, yeah. I, I, I did not know at all that um, that the, and I guess I should have realized it, but I, but because I've never been to Reddit, I think I actually went to Reddit one time. You've never and been I, on Reddit. I, I think yeah, I went I to I'm Reddit. I'm not a Reddit. I went I to Reddit know. like one know. time, um, like a few, like t- two years ago or something like that, and I found the layout so completely incomprehensible. It's so like confusing. I, yeah, yeah, I actually couldn't understand at all what was happening on the web page, right. like the physical page. Right. So I was like, I don't really understand this, and I don't think I've ever been back. So I, I don't know anything about it. I didn't realize people were, um, I didn't realize there were many people. Uh, who are in some sense engaging in colossally inappropriate behavior? Well, I guess I shouldn't. Me, that shouldn't right? surprise yeah. me, right? I you well, I, do you think so? I mean, I, first of all, I hope I you understand so. Reddit after the show, Joe. I, I can I can fill in. I can help you with this. But, but do I think it's colossally inappropriate yeah. for people to be physically investigating this person who's right. being described in yeah, this? Yeah. Of course, I think right. that's inappropriate. They're not law enforcement people. They shouldn't be engaged in right. uh, yeah law enforcement activity. I don't that's, disagree. It's it's the. But what about speculation? I mean, so there are always you get a big enough group, and you're always going to get people who cross lines. And and the question is, does the does the platform encourage people to cross lines? Why do you define the lines the way they are? Should the lines include speculation? Clearly, stuff which is equivalent to stalking. Well, look, I think but, Sarah Koenig is has because she openly talks about these issues within the context of the episodes. I think she's actually modeling pretty responsible right. behavior. Because she talks about, you know, here are some choices we're making and here are things I'm not going right. to speculate about using that very word, right. speculate, right. right? So I actually right. think she's at least trying, maybe she's not succeeding, but she's trying to model some, some I think, responsible behavior. 
And, right. and I think, you know, Maris's point, though, about feeling uncomfortable with the show and forget, I, I, I think even if you exclude the, um, the effects on others, Marissa, the Redditors and others who, who have crossed what you see as lines and, and what Joe describes as, as kind of red lines, even if you exclude that, you would still feel a little bit uncomfortable listening, I think, you do. right? You and, do. You feel uncomfortable listening. Yeah, you do. I, I felt, I mean, even, yeah, forget anyone else going to Jay or whatever, but even Sarah, when she visited Jay or when she talks to um, Adnan's family, even the, the discussions with Adnan in prison, everything made me a little bit uncomfortable. And I, and I don't know if I ever pinned it down. There's one episode where I, pit, like, it just, for me, went over the line. And that was with the mosque stealing money stuff because that just seemed totally irrelevant. Um, but then the she aired him, but she aired him, like, uh, saying, making that point, right? She almost, like, yeah. shamed herself, but then, but still put yeah. it out there. I, for me, it's like, you know, you described the, 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 the podcast medium, um, which I think is, is interesting because, um, because, you know, there are very different kinds of podcasts. Like, ours is one kind of show. It's just a conversational yeah. show. It's, it's, it's supposed to be this kind of unadorned conversation that, that never could have had an audience before, where people expected to be, right. you know, told at the beginning, here's the show is starting now, and here's what we're going to do on the show, and now we're going to do the show, right. and now we're going to tell you what we did on the show, and now we're going to have right. the theme music to tell you that the show is over, right? This, and, <laughs> and, 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 and ours is like, right. we're able to explore a kind of conversation that couldn't have found an audience uh, before at all. And, and, right. and Serial, like this American Life and like Radio Lab, I love all of those shows, right? Are yeah. like public right. radio shows. They're well produced and they have a they have a narrative yeah. arc to them, which is planned beforehand, and they're edited to be tight. and And I like them for that reason. It's a different kind yeah. of medium than what we do on this show. But in some ways, yeah. what they did on that show, it's like every time I heard the music, like that 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 actually enhances this American life and enhances Radio Lab when it's applied right. to talking about someone who might or might not be a murderer and someone who has definitely been killed and all of these other people. And this is real life. I right. almost felt more guilty because of the Me too. the entertainment Me too. that I felt listening to it, you know? Yeah, I, I felt guilty. I felt like a very voyeuristic. And I, the thing is, deep down, we're all voyeurs. I'm such a voyeur, right? Like, I keep friends on Facebook that I don't like because they air too much of their lives on Facebook. But there's some weird thing about us <laughs> that we, we love, like Nancy I'll Blake. try to do less of we that love- in the future, Marissa. What's that? I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try to do less of that in the future. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I know. You're one of them. But, yeah, I know, you know, I we know. Love, we, love, we love to get us peek into other people's lives and murder. Holy cow, what's better than that? Or an affair, right? If Serial 2 is it about an affair, then like even better, right? But we love that stuff, right? We want to know the details and the dirt. And so part of it felt like, you know, but you feel guilty because you're not supposed to like it. Um, and it's not, it's wrong, right? These are people's lives. Someone was killed and someone's in prison. And so, so the part of me felt like, hey, this is, this is wrong. We're feeding this part of our culture and this brain, that our brains that are not the best part of us, right? But, but, but wait a minute. under we the guise be, of like, go ahead. We have to be willing to look at, I mean, I think the notion that, I, look, listen, I didn't feel uncomfortable or voyeuristic once, not for a second. And and here's the reason why. If we're if we're going to be willing to have huge public proceedings where we demand uh-huh. that people come and give evidence uh, and put people in prison for the rest of their lives, we have to be willing to look at these things and look at them long enough to figure out: Are we doing things the way we should or not? It, it is. I think it is. 
Well, that's ultimately really where I came down to, to be embarrassed yeah, yeah. about taking a hard look at, at something that's that you've already done in our own name it, that has the most devastating consequences. Yeah, I, I came down that way too. But I think Maris is talking about like there's a problem with our reasons for enjoying the podcast. It's not so much with the podcast itself. It's like why is it enjoyable and does it appeal to the right set of reasons? But I think ultimately I come down where you do that. You know. This is an issue about which we as a society have to decide, which has extreme consequences. Right. And society, right. look at this. You know, figure what do you, how badly do you want to know what really happened? And when it comes to right. imprisoning someone for the rest of their life, uh, right. I think we should want to know pretty badly what actually happened, right? And yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I'm a fan. I'll, I'll hear it again, and I and I do. I love it. I just I just want to make sure everyone everyone is. Um, being responsible about it outside, right? I mean, I, I want to make sure that we, you know, uh, hold, because I think Sarah did do, what you're saying is right, Sarah did do a great job of being a, a responsible journalist, but there's a whole slew of people who are now going to take this model and run with it. I mean, there's already the Nancy Graces of the world who just do this in the worst possible way, right? They dig in and they throw out the dirty laundry with no sort of rule, you know, that balance of journalism and i and i you know i think i think she did a, a good job the other i mean the, what you're so, pointing to is that what you're pointing to is that there are costs uh, involved right. not just in making a decision but in reaching right. a decision in investigating so there are costs in you know if you say well you know um so one benefit of naming other potential suspects is that we might get closer to the truth about what happened maybe one of those other suspects in fact committed this crime but there's a clear cost in the process of getting to a resolution about Adnan by naming other suspects. And that's namely that, you know, you're naming other suspects. And, right. and, and what you're saying is like with Nancy Grace is that she will very casually cast right. off these, you know, thoughts about people's guilt or innocence or character that are really damaging. But she doesn't seem to internalize those costs at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, other thing, the other thing I really liked about it is. You know, a lot of the crimes that we dig into and we love are um, when beautiful white women are killed, right? Like, and when there's been a lot of th these articles about this, it's like the only thing we care about is these white teenagers killed by whomever, especially if it's, you know, some like ne'er-do-well uh, of color, right? Or or someone like that. We, we sweat these things. And, and I kind of like, like, the multiracial aspect of this one. You know, and I don't know if it went into her decision-making, but, gosh, it would have been much more uncomfortable for me to listen if it was a white murdered girl and like a black suspect. Right. And I know that that's weird and, and, and like, obviously it shouldn't have mattered, but it did matter to me that, you know, there wasn't at least like the, the, the same racial tropes that we just keep falling under. Right. I mean, it's like this middle Eastern guy, but if he killed her, it wasn't, I think not at all having to do with his heritage. It wasn't an act of terrorism. Right. It was just, like high school lovers and and I like that they sort of humanize them in this normal way, right? Um yeah. but of course the race came in um I think with the conviction, right? Um and she brings well, yeah, that up yeah. talks about that. Yeah, I mean do you think that that I mean it has to. Do you think it played a role in terms of like people assume that he had a certain psychology about honor? Is that is that how it came in to play? In I think the, so. Or, or do you sure. think it was about dissociating from the other? I mean, they also didn't hear him on the stand, and, and they and they yeah. remarked on that, right? And I wonder how much of that yeah. not hearing him on the stand is actually related to race in a subconscious way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the decision making was, and 
you know, I, I don't know like, what the data is on this, right? Like how often does a, a, a teenage defendant get put on stand? So I don't know what, what his his lawyer's decision was there, but but sure. I mean, of course, you know, the whole prosecution's case was that, like, this is Muslim boy who has dishonored his family and his religion, and of course he's mad at this, like, guilt-producing, like, woman, you know, and that, that Adnan just gets away with it, and so, so does Sarah Koenig, right? Like, that was not the motive, right? Like, he was just a normal kid, right? And ask any any Muslim kid in in similar circumstances, and they're, they're doing the same stuff. So I, so I I do think that there was definitely racism involved, um, and it, you know, like that's obvious, right? Like that's not. This At is, least there was, not yeah. yeah. I mean, he talks to jurors, right? And the jurors are right. like, "Oh yeah, you know, they don't like their women." And when you have right. a juror saying that, it does. It's not a stretch, right? A, a juror who's willing to articulate that, you know, right. on, on the radio. Right. And how many of them yeah. just thought it, right? Yeah, and in a way, it's also the uh, the children of immigrants experience i i don't i'm not the child of an immigrant uh couple um but in high school um a a guy i knew in high school was dating a woman i knew in high school and i learned a while after i moved there that um that his parents didn't know and it was because of these immigration uh, you know, child, uh, a U.S. citizen child of immigrant parents. So there's this big cultural divide oh, yeah. in, in his parents' expectations and his own expectations and assimilation right. uh, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, this, so this story is ve- is as old as immigration and culture, I mean, in a way. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's why I say I relate. Like, every, and I, didn't, I was terrified of my parents finding out. And I didn't date boys in high school, but if I had actually had a boyfriend, there's no way my parents would have known about it, right? And <laughs> and, and I put myself in this position, but I was out, like, I, I went to parties, and I had a lot of friends, and at school, everyone would assume I was normal, right? But, like, if a boy ever called my house, like, I would have died. I mean, I can't explain, but, but like, would it have caused me to, like, kill them, right? I mean, no, there's a different. Yeah. Right. You know, like, I'm glad to hear that, Marissa. <laughs> right? like, Let's lay that baseline yeah, down. Yeah. yeah, right. So there's, you know, or would my dad? I mean, like. But you can appreciate that. You can appreciate the psychological strain, is what you're saying. That totally. Concealing well, and that the normalness. Yeah. Well, and the normalness of that experience, right? Like, of a tons of kids who are first generation immigrants, right? Who came here, and I'm I'm first generation, right? So I was wasn't born here, so I had. My own issues, but you know, second maybe second generation kids who hid everything from their parents, who lied to their parents about everything, but it doesn't make them liars. It's just what you did. And so she, they make a, the prosecution makes a ton about that. Is he lied about all this stuff? But like, I'm thinking like, of course he lied about that stuff, right? Like, you know, right, and it doesn't yeah. make you a liar. It's just how you survive. Is your parents cannot know the world you live in, right? Yeah. Um, it's for their it sounds it sounds almost. cliche, but you're like it sounds cliche, but you're pulled between two worlds. And yeah, and that means right. that you can't you say the same thing. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well do you, you do you talk all right. to your parents? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, we only have a couple more minutes left and we have to to reach our last uh, our last person, but okay. um but I just wonder, I mean, did you come away from this thinking that um so there there are many ways that that people could could come away from this. I mean, one is just a sense that either this was a tough case, but justice was done. This was a tough case, but justice was not done or something broader about how, boy, our system is messed up. And, 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 and I don't know if you 
came away from that. So in this case where you've got this guy, Jay, who may or may not be lying, but who knew where the car was. Right. And, right, right. Um, and, and then Adnan, who's, you know, related, you know, has various kinds of ties to Jay and we know that they were together at some, you know, so all that in the mix. And one other fact I think that we know for sure is um, that Adnan and Jay agree that Adnan gave Jay Adnan's phone. Right. For the right. day. And car. So those two things. Uh, don't they agree that you get the car? Right? I was in yeah. high school. Well, I was, I was in high school a few years before then and nobody had cell phones. And if you had a cell phone, you would lend it out. Like, yeah, that yeah, yeah. normal to me, right? Um so they're bound, these yeah. things bind them together and Jay's knowledge of the car binds yeah. him to the murder. And I exactly. saw this other Facebook post too about like how likely is it there was this butt dial, like who butt dials. And, and, and it turns yeah, out that the yeah. model of phone that Adnan had, you saw this, I think it was in your thread that I saw this, uh, Marissa, yeah. or maybe it, it yeah. might've been in Jasmine's, but I think it was yours too, that, uh, that the model of phone that he had, if you held any button down long enough, it would speed dial that number. Oh. Right. And yeah, so, but, exactly. and, and butt dials used to be a lot more common than they are now where you totally, have to slide down totally. lock. And so, yeah, but, but so uh, long story short, um, given the, the uncertainties here, there's a, there's an, there's clearly an innocent girl who's dead and, and yeah. it's tragic. Right. And, right. and there's a, there's a guy who's in prison. Like how right. did you take any lessons from this about what we, what we should do in these kinds of areas of dramatic uncertainty where there's kind of tragedy yeah. on either side of this decision? So, I, I mean, yeah, so I think there definitely wasn't enough to convict. I think he should have been acquitted. But again, like I said on my thread, I thought OJ should have been acquitted. There's too much <laughs> doubt, right? So, yeah, I don't, so I, I don't I think, think I agree with that, but, you know. Okay, fine. No, not many people <laughs> do. But I, think, but I think, you know, when you have such a screw-up of justice, right, when you have, yeah. and, and with the OJ thing, it was like when there was like a mixing of the evidence by the cops, like you don't get yeah. to do that and have your conviction, right? You don't right. get to tamper with stuff and get what you want. And so if it, if a guilty man goes free, then fine. And here I thought they messed up a couple of times. They, 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 they chose the wrong case. It got Jay the, prosec- the defense. They messed up too many times for them to have gotten the conviction, right? So I think he shouldn't have been convicted. But if I'm thinking about who actually did it, if I were to have to like bet my life on it, it'd probably be Adnan. However, yeah. um, I don't, I hope it wasn't. Right. But yeah. in my mind, like the serial killer theory doesn't make sense. It's a nice thought, um, you know, but like given that she spent all of this time and all we have is that most of that evidence to me points to Adnan. It would require um, yeah. Jay knowing somebody and being somehow knowing these serial killer exactly. or knowing somebody who knows them or you know, all right. of those things, though, are there's enough. <laughs> you know, all that to me right. adds up to reasonable doubt for various reasons. And we're, we're not going right. to relitigate the whole thing on this one show, but, um, right. all right, well, well listen, we'll, we're going to have to, uh, leave it there with you, but, um, okay. I look forward to your fourth appearance, Marison. Okay, Soon. good. Me too. It'll be the best. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Care. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hi. Hey there. Now, Dolly, do you want to, do you want to be anonymous or, or would you like to be Identified. Since we're going to talk about something you wrote, I think it's Wait okay to say Are your full you name. Are you doing it anonymously with people? There is there are a couple of guests just went no, by the we, first we name because I'm going to talk about two pieces I wrote. So I think it, it it's it's kind of unless it's if there's some scandal, not scandal, at least a serial based reason to do <laughs> me anonymous, like to do it anonymously. But if you actually want to talk about pieces I wrote, then maybe it makes yes, sense. Yes, I'm going to just completely do what you tell me to do. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, this is this is an enormous. Uh, I'm feeling the weight <laughs> of enormous power right now. Yeah. So this is this is Dahlia Lithwick, um, oral argument alum, host of the brilliant new show Amicus. Yeah, congrats uh, on sl- that. By the way, yeah. it's going really well. It's a terrific show. Yeah, I Thanks have fun listening so. to it. Thank you, and thank you for having me back. And you know, folks should also go and watch the interviews with Dahlia on Scotus Blog. Uh, they're in that. I don't know how many more of them there are or if they've concluded, but they've been really terrific. So they've been fun. I think people should watch those too. This is as close as we're going to get now to a Dolly Lithwick biopic. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) I think that there was not one of those SCOTUS blog segments that didn't involve me extolling Canada as a better place to be. It was all Canada (laughs) SCOTUS blog. So, yes. Only, yeah, so the only, whole series was yeah. called Dahlia Lithwick, colon, O Canada. Only <laughs> further only further endearing you to Red America. Absolutely. And, and to Samuel Alito, I think, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who describes you as snarky, is that right? Uh, he did, and then wanted yeah. to put me in jail. Oh, I did not know that. Well, I think I, he said that the, he liked the Canadian system where they put the reporters in lock-up oh, right. lock before. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, but then you have to unlock them, and that made him sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Oh, well, funny, Sam. That's, <laughs> that's enough Alito for one show for right now. Because, we, well, we wanted to have you on, uh, and I think we were going to talk, um, you know, we've been talking to a bunch of uh, of our of our listeners and, and past guests about uh, the Serial Podcast, which has swept the nation. But, I, I, you know, I think you can bring some more perspective on the problem of, you know, from a legal perspective and and from a journalistic perspective uh, of guilt and innocence, and in, especially in in cases where the consequences are so extreme, even death penalty cases. And and I know you've written a couple of pieces, and you wanted to, uh, and I think we were going to talk about some of them. But um, you know, what do you want to just tell me? Like, what what do you think? Um, uh, I don't. I don't want to ask if you were surprised by the amount of public attention over serial in particular. But uh, do you get a lot of? Do you get? Do you find you get more reaction to pieces you write about these very high-profile death penalty cases and where there's a claim of actual innocence, or what do you think is the public interest in all of this? You know, it's so interesting because after you you asked me to come on the show, I went back and looked at some of the pieces I've written just in the last couple of years. I mean, I. I, I do write, you know, a couple of these a year, and it's it's actually quite staggering, Christian, how much traffic they get. I mean, just in the aggregate, you know, I, I, I never think of these as like, you know, pieces that are, you know, I always feel like they don't move the needle and nobody really cares, and, you know, it's just another innocent exoneration. But just going back and looking, it, 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 it actually proves your point that people are hugely interested in these cases. And, um, you know, it almost makes me realize that Serial is has sort of capitalized on something that I didn't entirely know existed, which is that people care a lot about these, and they care about it for all the reasons that Serial has captured, which is sort of the storytelling and the kind of amalgamation of, you know, big, big justice stories and kind of small detail about how life is experienced, you know, in the criminal justice system. But in, in hindsight, um, just looking back, you realize that, that, that this does matter enormously to people. I think 
um, each and every one of these stories, maybe, I don't know if I'm wrong to say it doesn't move the needle, but each of them, I think, does expose just this fundamental truth of, you know, there is uh, wonky incentives for prosecutors, there is no lobby to exonerate, you know, the innocent, there are just, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who confess falsely, there's just such a systemic problem and that people care. Yeah, it's it, it's the most, um, and we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, I, I think in the modern world, we are not used to randomly impose tragedy as much. I mean, we live in a very secure society where, um, you know, fewer kids die when they're very young of diseases that randomly sweep through, right? We're just used to treating these things. We're used to minimizing risks. We're used to the idea that if you, you know, that, that kids who are born are very likely to grow up and live secure lives uh, for the most part. And, um, and even, you know, especially since post-World War II. Yeah. Um, uh, with so in a way, it's kind volunteer. of a recent phenomenon that, that this, this is the case. But, it's, yeah. but it, I agree with you. That does seem sort of to be like the world we live in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a world of security. Even and, 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 and when there's insecurity, it becomes big, big news, right? Um, you know, September 11th is only the right. maybe one of the, one of the bigger examples. But this I, – I, so I can see how once you delve into one of these cases uh, where there is a colorable claim of actual innocence – and you realize and at a, at a gut level that the person that you're talking about might be, you know, maybe being asked to make the ultimate sacrifice for society in the death penalty case or, or even in a life imprisonment case. Those are kinds of sac- random sacrifices that we don't usually think people bear, you know, outside the military, in which case there's some element of volunt- volunt- uh, voluntarism to it. Um, th- there's something really almost like at gut level about you know, wanting to be sure, wanting to know what happened and, and feeling, you know, repulsed by the idea that we're going to put someone in prison for life who is actually innocent and we're never going to figure out for sure whether they are. Uh, you know, it seems to me, it seems to I think this is a part where I disclose that I um, have a disc injury and I'm on some back meds, so I'm speaking <laughs> slower than I usually do. But I think that a big, big piece of this is also that we, you know, going back to the Bible, going back to Shakespeare, we really think that trials mean something. I mean, trials bring about justice, and they bring about order and control, and they bring about closure, and, you know, an entire victim's rights movement has had its genesis in the idea that, you know, once you've had a trial and you've heard the evidence and the jury has rendered its decision and a sentence is being served, then, like, life gets fair again. And I think that as a society, we put such vast amount of stock in that, such enormous import and meaning into that, that the idea that you're going to go back and you're going to look at it again is extremely destabilizing. And some of the cases that I've written about are cases that are just these huge, you know, national crime stories, young girls raped, you know, horrible murders, terrible things. And it really, I think, is so profoundly anxiety-producing to start to go back and kick the tires and look at you know, what the police did, what during interrogation, what, there's no tape of that, what the mother was outside the room sobbing in tears as the boys confessed, like, every piece of that becomes, you know, once it's called into question, I think, like, 
really, really feels like it's bringing this whole edifice down. And I think that, um, you know, it just goes to the, these questions of, you know, you've got a, you know, people who are running for a district attorney, right? You've got judges who are running for office, a whole criminal justice system predicated on the idea that these trials work, they make sense, they bring about order, we are all safer for them. And I think that in a profound way, there's something that kind of, when you go back 20, 30, 40 years later and you say, I'm sorry, they didn't turn over any exculpatory evidence. I'm sorry, they had a deal with the star witness that they didn't disclose. Um, I just think that really subverts just basic, basic things. So I I almost want to double down on your thing, which is like, we do live in a world where we think like we're all basically safe and random accidents don't happen. But when the very, you know, system that is keeping us safe is kind of uh, an aggregate of what can be just like horrible, horrible systemic mistakes at every point, I think that's just a really, really very, very difficult thing to, 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 to reconcile yourself to. And that's yeah. what I think has touched a nerve with cereal. It's, 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 it almost, it asks the question, what would it look like if we really, really, really wanted to know what actually happened and how is that different than what happens at a trial? Um, and, and over a number of episodes, it tries to ask that question and, and ends up saying, you know, even if you really, really, really want to know, oftentimes you're just not. You know, um, and and it brings up uh, the, the case that you wrote about, which, you know, when, when I, fir- I think I first heard about it from you and that you connected that it was the same case. But there was there was a case uh, in front of the Supreme Court, a death penalty case, which was the first one at which Justice Blackman, I think it was, began um, uh, a consistent series of dissenting from every um, denial of a death penalty um uh, habeas or, or basically reversing death penalties on account of just believing that the death penalty was unconstitutional and couldn't be applied constitutionally. And Scalia wrote an angry uh, dissent. And uh, uh, because you're the expert, I, I think I should let you, uh, uh, not an angry dissent, but an angry concurrence arguing that um, that Blackman had kind of cherry picked a good case. And here's this other case, which shows just how unwise, you know, Blackman's uh, uh, kind of moral and and legal view is. But do you want to take it from there? Because I think this case says a lot. Yeah. No. So this is 20 years ago, and it and it is a kind of a benign case. It's called Callens versus Collins. And Justice Blackman, who'd been, you know, sort of uh, riding the tiger of the court, you know, striking down the death penalty, reinstating it, you know, trying to fix it, famously writes in dissent, this is it, he's done. He writes, quote, I will no longer tinker with the machinery of death. He's never again going to vote for a death penalty case. And he, he, he writes this, I think, you know, unbelievable, prescient, still um, palpably true line. He says, the problem is that the inevitability of factual, legal, and moral error gives us a st- system that we know must wrongly kill from defendants, a system that fails to deliver the fair, consistent, and reliable sentences of death required by the Constitution. And you're right. Scalia just gets pissed. He's like, why didn't you just choose a better case to make this announcement because, um, you know, there's a better case out there. And then he name-checks another case uh, involving a defendant called Henry McCollum, which the court had been dealing with other issues. And Scalia notes that, you know, if you're going to sort of wave wave the, the white flag and say you're done with the death penalty, why don't you, 
you know, do it in a really horrendous case uh, of an awful murder. And he writes, again, just tweaking uh, Justice Blackman, quote, for example, the case of an 11-year-old girl raped by four men and then killed by stuffing her panties down her throat. How enviable, Scalia writes, a quiet death by lethal injection compared with that. I remember that so distinctly, Dolly. I mean, I I think, uh, and I don't actually remember where I was when I read it, which is kind of consonant with this discussion about memory we had a few guests ago. But um, but I remember that line because his Scalia's short description of those facts is so vividly awful. I mean, you just, uh, you know, it really grabbed me. And now, of course, I disagree with him. I disagreed with him then. Um, But he, um, boy, the 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 terror that he evokes in just a few lines uh, stuck with me. And I remember, and so that's why. What happened next is kind of all the more shocking in a way. Well, what's all the more shocking is that this September, that same Henry Lee McCollum, who has been on death row for 30 years, that's the case that Scalia name-checked. His conviction and that of his mentally disabled half-brother were vacated, and uh, he he was released uh, in North Carolina in September. So this case, and this case, you know, really goes on to become, and it's it's an incredibly uh, important case to look at because it's it's literally a Chinese menu of every single thing that can go wrong when you have you know developing developmentally disabled boys who are interrogated uh, at length by police who are coerced to confess who you know they recanted 226 times but it was too late uh, you know huge crime scene error failure to test uh, evidence you know failure to, te- to to investigate someone else who was incarcerated for exactly the same crime just a who's who of what can go wrong and yet 30 years later, the crime is finally investigated properly, only, by the way, because North Carolina has a commission in place, an Innocence Inquiry Commission that, um, you know, is, is very, very systematically now going through these innocence claims. But here's the case that Scalia holds out as the worst of the worst of the worst. You know, Justice Blackman, if you're going to do this, do it for Henry McCollum, except it turns out Henry McCollum is innocent. It's a, it's an amazing story, and let, let's let me take a few things as given, and then and then get your reaction to what we should do if those are given. And and given a lot of people are going to disagree with these givens, um, uh, especially from a conservative point of view, at least as I've heard it articulated. But let's suppose that we do away with the death penalty, so we have life imprisonment, um, maybe even not life without parole. Maybe we have life, but there's always the possibility of parole down the line. I, I don't know. But we have we still have lengthy, lengthy prison sentences. But we do away with the death penalty. And let's suppose that we have post-conviction uh, innocence commissions, which are charged with in you know kind of reviewing evidence. Um, I think we're still going to have cases where we don't know. I mean, there's still going to be cases where there's doubt, but maybe not reasonable doubt at the time of trial. We're still going to have innocent people going to jail. Um, in addition to maybe the two things I just mentioned, where we we exact a, a, a kind of um, a brutal penalty that takes away our ability to correct things in the future, that's the death penalty. Uh, and um, and and aside from maybe instituting some uh, administrative um, entity that is you know has no uh, master in the prosecutor's office or no political incentive to obtain conviction, so they're there to you know maybe aside from those two things, would you do anything else to try to? adjust the balance between or have you talked to people as a journalist who would do something else to kind of adjust that allocation of costs between letting a guilty person go free and convicting an innocent person other than those things 
You know, it, it, it's hard because for me, this is so bound up with these death penalty questions, is so bound up with, you know, the other elephant in the room, which is, you know, how we're doing executions. In other words, you know, right. I, I think even if you could make a pristine system, you're still going to have what I think is just this inexorably, not just broken, but like brokener and brokener system whereby, you know, we've, we're getting drugs from these compounding pharmacies and we yeah. don't know where they are. And like, you know, states are passing, Ohio's passing legislation that the whole thing should happen in a black box. Yeah, and, secrecy you know statutes. I mean? Like, I yeah. just think even if you were to unbraid the failures of, you know, the, the incentives, the political incentives to get death penalty convictions. You know, Henry McCollum, the guy we just talked about, up until 2010 was the poster boy, literally the poster boy for a prosecutor who was running on a sort of tough on crime, you know. Um, um, well, that's, that's kind of wanted to take it as a given. I mean, because... Um you know, for me, I've talked about this with you. You've been here for my Supreme Court discussion group. I don't remember if we had a death penalty discussion then, but these keep we we talk about a lot of these cases uh, with with my my student group here, and and I'm always struck in kind of going through the back and forth with the discussion about the death penalty with the students that the the very fact of the death penalty just messes everything up. It screws up our entire law, right? Because it's um, it it pervades pervades our discussions about crime and punishment and 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 even if it shines a light on the wrongfully convicted because of the gravity of the punishment it also steals some of that light from other cases where there are horrible punishments which are exacted on on if if you're innocent you know being in jail for I, I think even, you know, it depends on who you are. Even two years is like a horrible thing that can destroy your life, much less 20 years or life. And so I almost want to take it, and I know that, you know, this is not a done deal. I, the tide may be turning against the death penalty, but just taking it as a given that we do away with it. And we're just talking about imprisonment. Like, we still have, as we've been talking about on the show so far, a tragic choice to make between letting guilty people go free and convicting innocent people. We're going to do both of those things. We're going to do both of those things no matter what we do. And the question is like how we can uh, deal with that. But I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's, cons- you know, what you, if this no, is kind of what I, you want to talk I about. Or, yeah. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. And I, and I think, you know, one of the, the, the paradoxes of this is, you know, and here's where I commend to you, Brandon Garrett here at the University of Virginia, who's done just really, really amazingly interesting work. He, among many people, yeah, yeah. on, you know, how do we get it wrong? And just the pure data on, you know, we know how to make fixes in criminal prosecutions. We know, you know, so so Brandon studied the first 250 DNA exonerations um, for his book in, in 2011. And we know simple, simple, basic things, you know, 40 of the 250 people who were wrongfully convicted that he studied, so that's 16%, confessed to crimes they simply didn't commit. We know Mm. this. And that's unbelievable, right? 16% of people confessed to crimes that they never did. And that's because, well, of those 40, you know, 14 were severely mentally disabled, 13 were juveniles, you know, all but four of them were interrogated for three-hour stretches without a break. You know, like, there are, I, I guess I feel like there are so many things we know about 
what will break the system, that this isn't nearly as complicated as we think. You know, we simply know we should right. videotape. We could do a much better job, yeah. We should not interrogate juveniles without, you know, certain protections. And so I, I, for me, a lot of this loops back to, like, I don't know that we need to reinvent the wheel. I think we have fairly great data on how the system gets distorted and pretty good correctives for that. And so it seems to me that, you know, I I guess I'm not willing to go to the existential place of it's unfixable because it seems that, you know, the racial disparities, the economic disparities, you know, the complete and utter failure of public defenders, you know, to be able to adequately do their job. Like there are so many things that are fixable that I think that at that point we're talking just at the margins um, right. and that the errors are, are are just huge, glaring, obvious errors that are a function of a system that doesn't work. And and so they're dramatically reducible, even if not to zero. And, and the fact that they, the fact, the existential point that I'm trying to push you in uh, toward <laughs> it, that, that, that they're not reducible to zero should not distract us from the fact that they are reducible to a point much, much, much closer to zero than where we are now. I think journalists are not good existentialists. I just generally, <laughs> we are, we are, you know, we are, we are pragmatic people at, 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 you know, at our, our best and our worst. And I, and I do think that, you know, certainly, you know, there, there are important, you know, and these are all the questions Justice Stevens has been trying to raise, you know, sort of post retirement about, you know, what, what we could do. Um, about, you know, the prosecutorial incentives and what we can do about the death penalty. But I, I guess I just feel that that really the nut of it is that we have a system that, you know, can be dramatically corrected with, you know, money and attention and oversight, and that that would be where I would, I guess, just focus my own anxiety that that. Um, you know, there's always going to be, there's always going to be, he says, she says, and, and yeah. you know, factual claims that can't be resolved. But I think for me, the central tragedy isn't those. The central tragedy is the Henry McCollums and the Justin Wolfs, you know, people where there's clearly been just an epic miscarriage of justice that has nothing to do with sort of the subtle nuance of what the jury thought they heard, but has to do with really, really broken incentives. Wow. Well, you know, I asked you for 10 minutes of your time and you gave us a lot more and I feel like we're keeping you from your drugs. Um, (laughs) Which, which drugs might lead you to be much more existential than you normally are, Dahlia? (laughs) I was so existential at 10 o'clock this morning. (laughs) (laughs) We, I I feel like you should take them all. We should have another conversation about something else. Um, But I I believe uh, that I promised my doc back doctor a boat. At ten o'clock this morning, so that's really when you want to get me when I'm promising boats to people. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so so much for talking to us. Um, this was a great way to to uh, close out the show. I want to wish both of you a really really uh, lovely and peaceful holiday season. Thank you. Likewise, same to you. Thank See you. you later, Dahlia. Take care. Well, Joe, what a show! Yeah, great idea. This was a wonderful idea. And th- there were lots of uh, um, there were lots of wonderful ideas from from all the guests. I it's a, it's going to be a long one though. I think even when I yeah. and this one actually is going to involve you know like I said some editing. But I think even when I edit out the 
getting them on the line and and all that. It's still going to be a lengthy show, but I think one worth doing. And and definitely. Wor- so if you're if you're listening at this point, thank you for persevering. But but man, there are lots of perspectives. Yep. I feel like we've got material for about ten other shows on crime and punishment and yeah um yeah mm. what else joe uh happy anniversary again mm-hmm. uh happy christmas yeah um oh we you know we did should we hold the feedback that we got for the last show until the next show sure we got a great email didn't we you remember the one uh, 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 that came in almost right after we posted the yes. yeah yeah so um uh, yeah, let's talk about that next time we will talk about that next time including feedback we get this time yeah and how do you give feedback uh oral argument podcast at gmail.com yeah all one word all you know no funny business oral argument podcast yeah at gmail.com yeah yeah or you can go to the facebook page or you can uh give us a tweet yeah follow us on twitter at oral argument all one word and we're at oral argument on facebook so um yeah if you've got any thoughts about this show or any other show that we've done we'd love to hear it um I, I'm I'm out of the energy to be goofy now, so I think we will close it out. Yeah, thank you. And here's where we'll do the theme music, right, Joe? <laughs> Maybe no. not. <laughs>